Right, this is going to be another episode of Snake and Banter with me and Maui, because I'm actually not only from England, speak English, but also know how to read. So unlike the rest of you out there, I don't go Maui and I when it's totally incorrect, because actually I know the basic rules of the language I speak, shout out Americans. So okay, uh, guest for this episode is going to be Eminem's, but who, to be fair, has requested we just call him Jeff, because he's got that thing where... You're still in that phase that Richard Lewis went through a long time ago, right? Where he got rid of his alias and his whole thing, right, Eminem? So he used to just say like, well, you know, it's a bit childish, isn't it? It's a bit immature, you know, we pick it when you're a kid. But like, I'm an adult now, you know, I've got like professional work. But I always used to tell him as a counter though, I would say this. Yeah, but here's the difference. When people on the internet go, that foreign's a dickhead, I go... Fair enough. It's not me, is it? It's the name I picked. If they actually say my birth name, that might hurt my feelings. That's who I actually am, you know? So you want to get rid of the name? Should we just call you Jeff in general? No, no. One? I mean, it's like tough because on one hand, everyone knows me as that. Right. And they're like, they're like, if I see that combination of letters on screen, I know it's him. But people will walk up to me and, uh, you know, in person, they'll be like, oh, are you the guy with the fucking Z's in your name or whatever? Okay. Or you're the guy with the dog. It's actually the dog picture on Twitter. Okay. Uh, from Silent Hill, because it's like no one knows how to pronounce. You know, there's no vowels in there. You can't really, uh, can't really work it in any particular way. Um, but you seem to have got it from the first try. So Not bad. good on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's all good. No, but if people don't know, Eminem's Jeff works as a senior editor for Dust Two US, which just in case people get confused, the reason why the overlay looks quite like HLTV.org is it's essentially like a US vertical that dreaded term of hltv.org but as to be a specific scene site for the us and so he works over there with some people that are cool some people are massive dickheads but you know what that's not what this show's all about is it that's t what i'll always keep it real motherfuckers so okay let's start out m&m's jeff we always make the guests start with the first one so what is your good point for snake and banner yeah, well, first things I know I hate that Gonzalo guy too, that junior writer who doesn't, who only just okay. works hard. Hate him. No one else at Dusty US. Everyone else is perfect, right? Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to jump right into my first good point. Um, I think for my good point, I really want to focus on uh, Liquid's upcoming roster moves. I think we can safely say, you know, the Cadian Skulls, Hikinder, uh, Naf, and Twist. As far as I know, that point. move is all like, going to happen. It's like it's behind gonna, the scenes, it's just, they're just, it's just waiting until oh, it's yeah. announced. It's just a almost, statement yeah. of fact at this point. Yeah. And, um, I think the main angle that I appreciate this move from is it's almost like Liquid are recognizing the classic problems they've had on their team probably since the very beginning of we've never had a tier one opera. And, you know, you can say Cadian's not like a star opera, but he's probably the best opera they've ever had with, you know, without a doubt. And two, outside of Nitro during his prime before he left Avalon for the first time, they've never really had an IGL who, you know, can deliver on a tier one caliber. So... And you kind of have to wonder how, to what degree bringing Zeus back in has to do with that in the sense that, you know, outside of uh, Naf, he's the only one who, in that roster who's, you know, aware of sort of the long-term problems Liquid has. And I'd love to know, you know, how involved he was in the process of getting that team um, set up. Okay. Go on then, Maui. Hit me with it. Because in theory, we've we've only like briefly touched on this tangentially. We've never actually talked about what you think of the whole roster. I think it's a definite upgrade than what they were using before. And I'm glad to see that they're keeping three people from the Americas region in NAF, Twist, and Skulls so that they'll actually just cakewalk through the Americas RMR because that's going to make things a lot easier for them. And it'll make a move in Skulls, which I don't actually think will make them necessarily world beaters, still financially viable. And that's really the 
biggest thing I draw into question with this move is that I think that people are a little bit overhyped and oversold on Skulls because of his numbers, but a lot of his numbers are in domestic competitions against... Tier 2 Brazil is really not that strong, if we're being honest. And so if you actually look back at his demos, he does a lot of things that are pretty shaky and I don't th think that he even sometimes has good fundamentals, but his aim is a lot better than people that are in Brazil, so he ends up just farming them a lot of the time. But I, I'll say that on the positive side of this, one is that I'm glad that Yakinder's experiment as an in-game leader has ended, and I'm glad that it's going to be Cadian because now you have, in my eyes, one of the top three in-game leaders in the world now playing for Liquid. And two, like you're saying with Cadian, the fact that they're going to have a tier, a real tier one opper, because yeah, I wouldn't necessarily have included Cadian in my S tier of oppers. Like he's not of the Monacy, Shiro caliber or Zaiwu, obviously, but I would put him in the A, a tier pretty safely. Like he doesn't necessarily have the mechanics of some of those younger stars, but in terms of setting himself up, making sure that he's going to have a lot of impact with the most expensive weapon in the game, that's what Cadian's been doing for his entire career. And it's going to give Liquid an entirely new look for their defense which has been so frequently predicated on riflers finding initiatives taking some kind of space and now they have another trick up their sleeve and when it's Cadian calling on top of that you know he's going to be calling his own number more times than OC was allowed to or even able to yeah I mean what I would say on this move I actually talked about it a bit on counterpoints if people don't know, like me and uh, Maniac just speculated if this lineup that everyone's heard reported would happen what it would be like and so to briefly summarise basically the reason I actually think it's a great move is kind of similar to what Eminent, what Jeff is saying here which is basically in the history of Liquid except for when they had Simple and actually people don't know this but Simple himself essentially wasn't even the primary opus some of the time like it was either like Edren or JDM he used to just he's Simple so he would just take it and do what he wanted so he actually it's actually sort of like Zewu now rifled half the time so generally they've never worked around like a true primary op I mean obviously they tried to do it when they had JDM when they had the Stanislaw lineup and then Nitro but it just didn't work like I think JDM's form wasn't that great and as a team they just clearly haven't got like the wherewithal of how you play around an op so I actually think low key it's sort of a genius solve that you already needed an IGL anyway so you get an IGL who's sort of not even a primary op himself really and he just is going to do the role. And so to me, the reason why this is a great move is because if that part works, it's actually a better version of what you had with Nitro. You've just got like Liquid 2.0 from 2019. Also, you've brought back Twists potentially. So if he can get back in a great form, you've got a very strong rifle core. And so to me, the Skulls one basically is a pure gamble. But also, if that doesn't work out, you can get in a lot of players to do that, just be an aggressive rifler. Like there's plenty of players in the scene. That's probably actually, the irony is even the Brazilian scene is filled with players who do that role right now so i actually think it, there's a lot of gambles like things have to work like your kind has to work going back into his role twist has to like find his place in the team kadian has to obviously call with a non-danish there's a bunch of question marks but i don't think they're implausible each of them that they can go the skulls one's the only one like you Maui. i'm sort of reserving a bit of i'm like i'm waiting to see what happens with that one but i actually don't think that even has to work like it doesn't even have to be an 8 out of 10 move. Like, the rest of the team could well be good enough that this immediately can be, like, a top four, top three team in the world. And Actually, when I look at the pieces, if this F actually works, if all the gambles work, this lineup would be fucking mega. This could actually be number one, in my opinion. The in true insanity of it is the fact that, you know, you're getting someone like Twist, who, at this point, I don't really consider him an NA player anymore. You have someone who's worked under Kerrigan for years now, has the intelligence of it. He can bring it back to NAF. He can bring it back to Skulls. Um, it's another, you know, English speak. It's another English speaker. So you have a good balance of sort of the culture of the team. Um, and the Zoo's angle is, the, I think, the really the most underrated part. Sure. With his, he's been out in the 
wasteland of the Brazilian like tier two, tier three scene for so long now, and to have him actually, you know, healthy again and being able to travel and being able to do, you know, tier one work again. Um, it's probably the you know best coach. I think you know he's the best coach they've ever had, and it's underrated for him to finally like the Fluxo move was a complete non-starter. That team, I don't know what they they're doing. It's almost like the zero zero nation of twenty twenty one, sure. where every time they add a player, you're like, hey, that's like a six or seven or an eight out of ten move. Team loses to you know like a tier four like Russian stack, or it loses to like a Brazilian team back home we've never heard of. Um, even though they have you know Malbs, they have. Phelps, they have Fur, they have all these great names, but you know, beyond that, um, there's it's almost like we the the liquid roster has now reverted to a stage where if they finally got rid of a liege, you know, in his earlier days, and they kind of in the sort of twist, um, in the twist the liege schism, if they went with twist, we can almost see that play out now. Um, almost skulls is like a replacement for I don't know, like a taco esque player. Sure. By the way, on the Zeus angle, I can tell you what a couple of three things. One is that the reason why I also love that they got Zeus back, but then also allowed him to be involved with this roster creation. As far as I know, he was the guy who sort of like made a list of players and they went out and sorted who they could get. And they've gotten quite a few of the top ones as well. Is because I know that, I, I know this guy quite well. I know he actually, a lot of people don't know this detail, right? People think because GW2K's image is so big that at the end of the 2018 lineup in Liquid, that they kicked Taco and Seuss, and then they brought back Adren, and then in came Stu. That's not what happened at all. It was the other way around. What happened was, believe it or not, Taco and Zeus got lured with one of those fallen fucking utopian stories of like, let's make MIPR again. And then they went and did that team. And then in doing so, Stu was just available. So they sent him the other way. And then Adren was their old coach and he came back in. Now it happened so happened they had all that success in 2018. So everyone forgets it and rewrites the story the one way around. But the reason I say that is because I know that Zeus actually regrets that. That when he saw what they both did in 2019 and what he was unable to do because the MIBR team was on its last legs. The joke I always made was that was the bloody last dance. You don't get two or three of them, you fucking greedy cunt. Like, you already had one where you wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars of someone's fucking payroll and never did anything of value. So, the sad thing is, I know he wishes he could go back in time and go, by the way, soldiers tackle and just be like, why don't we just stay in this team? Because the joke is like, what could we have done when Australia's got weaker and took time? You know, they all think that now, mate. So, I also think just a great last chance to do it again, you know, like get and he's even got some of his paces, he's got twist back. Then the last thing is, I'm waiting for this lineup. Once this lineup is officially announced, this is also how I know these leakers know nothing, because they don't even get the straight fire ones. I've got a player who could have been in this lineup, but some drama happened. But I have to wait till the lineup gets announced, because it's safe. I can't do anything now when it could potentially still fuck up the things behind the scenes. I try not to do that in general, unless I just really don't like your team, but... It's not about what, Australis now, is it? So don't worry about that. <laughs> one other one other detail, this is like a just kind of a tangent, but it's a slight on the Stewie reputation there is it I mean, it wasn't perpetuated by Stewie because even Liquid wanted Tarek from MIB. That's true. That was, yeah. They, yeah, that's also they true. They first wanted Tarek and then kind of after the interview yep. and some practices or whatever, that's yes. when they decided, okay, maybe Stewie's actually the better fit for us, which is yes. To them, they have to be pretty thankful about that move because of what, yes. what came after with the grand. Slam. Like you have to understand that 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 whole thing is basically one of it's one of Launder's classic points of people don't know where he did for real when Stewie Two K won that grand slam did go. But wait a minute, a major plus a grand slam, he must be the greatest of all time. That is like a, so. All I'll say is this: one of the reasons why I only lightly barb with Launder's because he reminds me of DDK. He's brilliant in so many areas, and then the other areas, it's like. 
Ah, oh, he's a bit special, isn't he? You know what? Get him a fucking cup of cocoa. The, the adults are talking now. You don't go too hard at people like that, you know. Once you realise what they're about, you know, it's just, just being mean at that point in time. Yeah, oh, oh why is the, you don't ask the little kid, basically, why is the adult bigger than the house? You just go, oh, brilliant. I'll put that on the fridge. Well done, Landers. Tell us some more shit about jumping around the maps or whatever. By the way, just as an aside, if people don't know as well, this is how shameless Landers is. He himself even said this on Twitter. I told people this on this show a few, few episodes back, Maui, and this is so insanely shameless. The reason he actually told all of us, lectured us, not to complain about Valve, he even said this, is because some, like, secret connect in the KZ community had gotten some, like, feedback back to Valve, and Valve had apparently fixed it, but without ever putting anything out in, like, an update list. And then, as a result, because, like, this is how shameless Lawrence is, so he was thinking, wait, I've got the direct connect. Everyone, stop complaining about Valve. They're doing their best all right then a few months literally like a month later now he's just like fuck valve they're not changing any of the stuff i like it's like is this just all about you what the fuck bro like either here or valve do it or just wait for the game like what what is this shit like that's like some spurned lover shit what the fuck well, also like, pretty, yeah go on go on jump I, i'm pretty bullish on you know i'm pretty bullish on valve and cs2 but okay. the fact that he's it's like he's like it's a positive that they're gaslighting us by changing without telling us that's like good like, that, that was the, the first problem. thing i thought exactly like bro can they just tell us when they fix stuff then instead they're doing some magic like you should know what i fixed though you should you obviously don't care enough about this relationship that you don't understand what i think oh you haven't seen what i'm doing with my hair like what, why is valve my mad girlfriend from about 20 years ago right all right let's go move on though we can't spend well, too much the, time the, on this the pro on. player wait hold hold on so the pro player because the pro players and the reddit maybe the redditors more so you know they look at like their net graph and they have like 0.3 percent loss and the next day sure. they have like 0.2 percent loss and they're like see see they're okay. changing without hey, telling go. me they're like okay. and they write like eight thousand words on reddit and it gets like three upvotes and it's like sure. oh you forgot to take your medicine this morning okay you go 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 but so <laughs> The, going back to you know the liquid roster and the zoos edition it's in you know like the launder thing it's like the same shit with dupree it's like but he won sure. one two yes three four five majors that's more than four majors therefore he's the go and it's like no that's not how that works you know it's a team of five players mm. but um there's like almost like this weird almost revisionism about liquid's history in 2018 where people don't really rate that roster i think as high as they should the one with taco yeah because they don't because they didn't win all the trophies but the thing people don't really remember is you know who else was a good team in 2018 you might remember them the you know god conquering two major astralis team that won every single trophy of note almost that year and you know who came in second place every single event that year liquid so if we're going to say that astralis team was the best in the world the team that won almost won every trophy that year should be the second best team in the world. But people are like, oh yeah, they were so right to get rid of Taco and Ed Stewie because they won the Intel Grand Slam in yes. you know, 93 days or whatever. But ultimately, that's very like simplistic of they didn't win and now they're winning. At the same time, it coincides with the Strahls falling off and it's like, the supportive element of Taco on t that team was absolutely gangbusters. And I think, you know, if they, you know, if, you know, we saw Stewie sort of start falling off the rails eventually, I don't think you would have had that weird decline with Taco. And like you said, he should definitely regret having gone to MIPR because that team didn't do anything of note. I think the they maybe won like a Counter-Strike Asian Championship over like Kingwin or something with Taz. But other than that, there was nothing cooking there from the, you know, team and it's just kind of ridiculous and so this this new move they're sort of that's being you know touted it's probably the best they can honestly get if they wanted to come back to na because i think they had to internally realize that the fans didn't the fans did not like the team with rainwalker and patsy the results weren't there and the the challenge of getting through the european rmr they would have not made it through the european rmr with that roster there was like a zero percent chance that team was you kinder could you kinder cannot say as the igl 
Patsy, you know, wasn't delivering on the way I think he was. And Rainwiker wasn't delivering and, you know, some stuff in the background, you know, you can't say it out loud, say the quiet part loud. But um, ultimately, you know, as a, as a good sort of a wrap up, good point for my end, this team should ultimately, you know, hopefully be a team that can surpass complexity and maybe bring some attention, you know, back to NA overall instead of just being the complexity show all the time. By the way, if people don't know, when Richard Lewis did that feature, that time travel land, the thing is, it was his feature. So he actually decided the teams that were in it. And then, like, people were allowed a bit of pushback. I actually personally tried to get that 2018 Liquid one, like, way into it and then high up. But the problem is, basically, he valued, like, anyone who won a major, basically. So, like, I even said that they're better than the Cloud9 that won the major. Like, if you just look at the results, like, they should be on this. But whatever. The thing is, if you know how that feature worked, they were never going to get to, like, the top four at the end anyway. It was going to be the, the names you knew anyway, like, fucking Navi and Fnatic and Australis. So, it was whatever. But I also agree. I think, actually, just the fact they didn't win is actually whack because what people don't understand is if you also agree that Astralis is the most goated team ever, then that means on paper they might have just won everything if that team wasn't there. I mean, the joke is if Astralis was, like, 5% worse than split the fucking finals who knows you can't really know that one one thing that's going to be lost into the annals of history but i always found hilarious in twitch chat was this most recent iteration of liquid where his name's obviously rain waker and people would just type rain water like that's some kind of insult but people okay. when he does badly people would just type rain water and i just don't even i don't even know how that's supposed to be like a diss but well the joke is you might not know this but in some places in your country the united states of america it's illegal to collect rain water and you know what after how liquid played i you know maybe there's some logic to how your judicial system operates over there <laughs> straight fire uh, right all right let me let's move let me on to my good. come on yeah let me get to my good my there's good actually point. the joke is this should just be Kassad's good if he was on the show so go on what is it that's true that's true that's true yeah i, I mean mine is mine is straightforward it's been the biggest news of the last week it's just the fact that nico is staying with g2 he I mean, I think the word was he took a U-turn from the Falcons deal. And there's a couple different reasons that I actually really do like this. The first and foremost, and I think this is the most obvious in the fan reaction, is just that, cool, like, G2 is going to continue with Nico. They're going to have that continuity moving forward that all of the fans of G2 can continue supporting their team, knowing that the Star Rifler is going to stay on that team. And frankly... I like when teams are able to just keep progressing with a similar lineup and don't have to make major roster changes because they're getting poached apart by, you know, XYZ org that's coming into the space. I, I think that just makes for a better narrative overall. I think that it's easier to sell that kind of story in the future. Even if there is a super team Falcons that starts winning a lot of stuff, it's a little bit harder to sell them when the whole story of the team is just like they bought everybody. Whereas G2, in some way, we saw the trials and tribulations of Nico, the up and downs and so for him to hopefully possibly win an, a major eventually that would be the crowning achievement and the light at the end of this super long g2 tunnel the other thing that i like about this is that it finally feels like for some of the rumors that have surrounded this move that nico shopped himself and i think that's something in terms of player empowerment that hasn't really come into this space as much as it should have whereas in spaces like traditional sports at least in america players will have their agents look for deals across the board. They're going to try to test the market to see what's the best fit and what's the best in terms of pay. And so frequently we'll hear about 
behind the scenes, these rumblings of a player who just immediately signs back with the team that they were already playing with. And I'm looking at people kind of like Device, kind of like Blame F, who just extend their contracts with Astralis without even shopping themselves because they usually have that line eventually that's like, well, you know, I was going to sign with this team anyways, so why not just get it over with, not have to deal with the anxiety of shopping myself because I wanted to play for Astralis or whatever team it is anyways. But Nico seemingly took it under i mean took it into his own hands to and maybe probably his agent too to shop himself to a huge buyer in falcons and then go back to g2 say hey this is how much falcons are offering me right now i do like playing with you guys i'll let you guys match this or maybe even pay some percentage of that that salary and then that deal happened and and i just think like this is what we've been talking about in terms of taking traditional sport contract negotiations to this space and a player finally wisening up to, to actually get the most bang for their buck in terms of getting paid what do you think M&Ms? it's so great like you said that a player is just not being a rube anymore players are starting to wise up and not be complete rubes anymore i think the worst story ever in terms of players not being smart with their you know transfers is consider the following Remember Abel J? He's, his contract with FURIA would, in theory, still be going today. You know how long he's been out of FURIA for? Almost four years now. And it's and we still see players to this day doing that. We see you know players signing five-year contract extensions on BIG, signing five-year contract extensions on Astralis, doing all of this. You know They're doing themselves no favors. They're signing you know contracts right as CS2 are, is coming out. The scene still potentially has room to grow if the game keeps picking up more viewers. You know We move out of the esports winter. Every player should be shopping themselves around right now. And I think, you know, Nico, it doesn't matter if he has faith in G2. There's no reason he shouldn't have faith in G2 to keep, you know, delivering results. I think, you know, we've gone past the part where it's like, you know, Hooksy's still a greatly flawed player, but they've won enough trophies where it's like, okay, but the ring's on the finger, right? It's, you know, you can you can say, you know, he's 0-0 and 7 most of the most, you know, for the first seven rounds of the game, but the trophies don't lie. Um, and I think there's really no guarantee from Nico's perspective when he goes and chops himself to Falcons, what kind of roster they're going to get. We've heard so many conflicting rumors of players they're going to look at. And I wonder if that's something that sort of chased him away and was like, I'd rather, you know, go back to G2, get a slight bump in salary and have the stability of a roster I know, than potentially go to Falcons and have it be, you know, a lemon team where Nico's trapped, you know, on like a two-year contract with potentially, you know, bums or a roster that's just a mishmash. Um, I mean, let me think. There's so many angles on this. Like, first of all, on the one you're talking about more abstractly of like shopping yourself, it's actually something I've talked about many times before, so I won't belabor the point. But essentially, the gist goes. I've made, I've done a whole skit before where it's sort of like you say to the player, like, oh, you heard your contract's coming up, so you know, like, make sure you test the market and talk to all the other teams. And they go, no, no, it's okay. I want to stay on this team. And the people know oh, this one goes, so I'll speed it up. And then you go, like, well, yeah, but you can stay, but just test what, find out what they're going to offer, though. And then you can maybe use that to change your offer. No, but the thing is, I don't want to leave, though. No, no, don't worry about that you'll still have your chance to join though and then they go yeah but if i go and talk to the other teams they might think i want to leave though. no but actually you them thinking you want to leave could help though couldn't it in the negotiations and then they go no no but then they might not want me to say you go fucking hell yes if you're if you are a player in demand you have the leverage like understand that and if you do it properly by the way and professionally there's nothing wrong with this this isn't something like scandalous or disloyal that you're doing because like for example in this case nico's team g2 the joke is if people don't know notice the one 
one entity that isn't complaining right now about the Saudis are the other teams not owned by the Saudis. That's weird, M&Ms, because you'd think they should be complaining. These people are coming in with all this money and all these other sources of money, potentially through sponsors that might not be real if you know about how the Premier League works in England. Essentially, they should all be complaining, dude. They should all be getting together and going, hey, these guys are going to ruin the space. I'll tell you why they aren't doing that. For the same reason, Premier League teams don't complain about that. Because if basically, if they want to overpay for your star player, then you want to sell him because they're overpaying for him. So what they do is if they want to pay twice as much as Nico's worth, you want to sell Nico, even though he's Nico, because you get twice the value and then you can then go and buy like someone comparable to Nico for less than twice as much. And so eventually, like basically, that's why in the Premier League, they all just, they're happy for these players to go because actually the joke is it actually is a way to like offset how fucked up your budget is and how crazy your salaries are out of control. So in a weird way, actually the, the scene, most orgs would be fine if you're talking. And then I'd also just throw in there as well. The real problem in this situation though is um, that most players don't do that, like we're saying. They just decide, either I want to leave, in which case, by the way, they're stupid enough to even tell their team, by the way, I'm probably going to leave now, I'm going to talk to this other tip so they don't even get the best deal. Or they want to stay, but they just won't actually like get their own salary up. So in, in this particular case, it's a really good one because even though everyone's in economic dire straits right now, Nico basically has almost max value of any player in the world. And for G2 especially, they can't replace him. So unless they do the massive buyout, the second best option is re-sign him for potentially more money. Or this is the one part where I'm going to spin it. Where I'm not, it's not a total good one for me. Like, I like the idea that he got a good deal for himself. I actually think this move's dog shit. Like, one... This move implies all Nico cared about was money. Like, I noticed Hooksy isn't the one getting benched. So that implies Nico's fine just playing the rest of the years with fucking Hooksy. Because here's the, here's the problem. If we're going to speculate about Falcons, based on what I heard, it's not just Zonic. It's Zonic and let's just say whoever the IGL ends up being. They're the ones picking the team. So spoiler, until the IGL is certain, the rest of the team isn't necessarily certain as far as I know. So even though those names, it's like the Liquid One, are all legit. It's not like the Liquid One where they were definitely all going to sign as far as I knew. That's why I do take with someone saying that a player's going to sign because a lot of these names have been heard behind the scenes from very legit sources for months now. Over a month, at least. I remember weeks ago being somewhere in here in this. So, I actually don't like this move. Like, the implication goes, I think it's quite a good one. I don't think it's anything to do with money. I think that's nonsense. People are like, oh, I just, just turned down the bag or did he get a better deal? No, no. I think it is something like he didn't like the way it was looking with the Falcons lineup and he just decided, I'll, basically, I'll stick with what I've got. The better the devil you know, as we say in English. But I actually find that kind of wild because if you actually look at the players and those were legit players that they were trying to sign the only one that's debatable is this thing of maybe Monacy didn't want to go right I'm not a fucking 12 year old child so I don't believe Nico and Monacy are best friends and must play together and that was anything they ever said I do think that Nico knows Monacy's a really good opera and he would like a really good opera in his team but the weird thing about that is to me really good opera that can speak English is like the most wide category in fucking tier 1 CS right now like there are a billion players you can get for that role so I actually just find it a bit puzzling in this sense of what Nico's thinking going back to G2 because obviously now we're going to talk later there's this move where JKS is benched but I actually think this is this is where me and Nico see his career differently I'll do the quick rundown so one this means he's stuck with Huxley I think that's just stupid as fuck like the next majors will go the same way these ones will. They won't do anything. I do not think they'll win the major. And if you're Nico, you're basically just playing to win the major at this point in your career. Then there's the Hunter angle. You're all going to go, it's brilliant. He gets to play with Hunter. That's only good, by the way, as long as Hunter's good at CS. The day he's bad at CS, that will become a fucking millstone around your neck where now you don't want to cut your actual fucking blood relative who used to be good at the game. Like, who, who the fuck wants to do that? that? That's such a mistake. In my opinion, if anything, now you go and, you, and, it's, and it's happy for you to go because it's the big day 
deal and it's your chance to actually like have done your time with him. You gave him your shot. You had your chances to win majors together and now you go and do something else and he gets to do whatever he wants with his career. And then the last one is the Monacy one because I'll just throw this out there. I do think the reason Nico is the one all the fans bang on when he doesn't win the major is because when you look at his lineup of teammates, it's insane, right? You go, holy shit, how can you not win? Mate, this Monacy one is fool's gold because most tournaments, Monacy is really good. But every now and then he just turns up and has a bomb-ass tournament. Like, there's no one else seen how he plays. He's not permanent. He's not really simple. He doesn't really, like, bang every tournament out. It's why I told people you have to learn how, like, simple is just on another level. Like, a bad tournament for simple is, like, a 1.18 rating. Like, that's a normal fucking tournament for every other star player. So, Monacy, you, it, there's a bunch of times, I think, Canavice, I think the major, there's a bunch of times he's just turned up being all right. So, if you're someone like Nico, you actually get wrecked for from what the on-paper roster looks like, because everyone forgets, Monacy is what, I think he's still not even 18 now, was he? Oh, he just turned 18 recently, because they did that ad with the fucking casino. He's barely turned 18, and he has essentially, like, less than two years land experience. Like, so I think people, I, I think that G2 lineup gets a bit oversexed at times. Like, to me, if you bring a different IGL in instead of Hooksy, now it's amazing. With the Hooksy angle, it's clearly a flawed lineup that has certain areas which maxes the stats out. So I'm just not a fan of the overall move. I don't mind it for Nico. It's, it's not the end of the world. But the sad thing for me was, I actually thought the Nico angle of that move, even more so than people like Snappy and Zonic, was the coolest part. If you had Nico in the Falcons roster, now it really could hit the ground and potentially immediately be top five and actually challenge for all the tournaments. And and then I was looking on paper. Dude, if you just tell me, Snappy and Nico, I'm in already. You get the rest of the players, forget it, but I'm in already. That's already an interesting prospect to me. So I'm just puzzled by why Nico chooses this move as all. I think with... Uh, well, okay, side, a little sidebar real quick. I do like the fan implication that Nico didn't go to the move because Monacy didn't I love it. He's like, you know, he's my best friend. I, I can't go without him. And then he has an actual blood relative. They think it's actually a K-pop. I know it's a K-pop like, team, like, innit? I know. <laughs> it's, no, no, because the thing is, like, he's like, you know, he's like, Monacy, I can't leave you. You know, the, my you know, my brother, my family, my friend. And then Hunter, he's like, I don't fucking, you know, who the, who the fuck are you? Oh, you have the same last name as me? Don't give a shit. Like... 1.3, you know, 1.03, don't care. It's in, <laughs> and then, he, you know, anybody's like, Monazi, you know, Monazi, he would adopt Monazi of his son if he could at this point, but like, obviously not true. Like you said, tier one exceptional international English speaking operas. Like, if you go to Europe, you'll just walk down the street and you'll just like find one like, looking through a trash yeah. can or something. Like, it's, <laughs> it's ultimately, you, you know, you're like, oh, hi, wonderful. Would you like to come play for Sprout? He's like, yeah, sure. I don't have really anything else going on right now. And then he ends up going to Navi, right? But Dude, it's, it's... Dexter's on a fucking UFO somewhere orbiting the planet. No one even minds that this guy just doesn't even exist anymore. Like, we're all just pretending like he just he stepped through into Narnia or something. Where the fuck is he? Like, there's so many mega It's ridiculous. I do like how, you know, Dexter went to the, the bench on OG and then it's just like, uh, you, you hear like these subtle rumors where it's like, he could join the team, but then he's just like playing cards with himself, like on an island, like yeah. on a deserted island, you know, with a single cut, with a coconut, with, you know, face carved on it. Nothing, like, someone please sign Dexter. That's all I want. Free him from his tetrahedron prison. Like... Um, I like the people though where they go like it's it's the, the, that's the problem with Reddit by the way it's like because of the upvote mechanism it actually just trains people to repeat the same thing so you know they always go yeah but I've heard he's really toxic it's like oh he's from Eastern Europe he's an opera he's toxic fucking hell what could we ever do with that that's never worked out before <laughs> what are you talking about bro that's like a, that's all yeah spoiler it. does he breathe air as well fucking yeah brilliant I don't care mute the mic I have to work with a player <laughs> I have to work with a player who isn't very nice and isn't the upstart professional like what are we ever gonna you know what are we all ultimately going to do to resolve this problem yeah. it's 
you guys have worked like jobs before, right? Like, you know, like a job where you go and you are forced to work with the people and sometimes they are nice to you. Well, imagine if you're being paid a hundred thousand dollars, you know, $200,000 a year and you got to play video games. I think we can figure this one out. Like, it's not like, you know, the rude fry cook you have to put up with. It's like the world's best opera or whatever that you're having to put up with, like calls you a cunt or whatever. But like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like the By the way, this actually, this actually leads into my point though, so we'll segue it, because it's actually perfect, which is, I because for good, this is just a slam dunk, wonderful to Narvi, like, that's literally one of those moves, this is also why the leakers, you are so unimpressive to anyone who knows this scene, I don't even need to ever know those people were talking, when you tell me, to Narvi, a team that at the moment incredibly flexes being Ukrainian and doesn't sign Russian players, they have, they're going to temporarily lose their best player, who's a Czech's notes primary opera. Hmm, if only there was someone Ukrainian who's a primary opera who's really good on a fucking hell, like, it writes itself, you don't even need to know anything's going, the joke is, if Narvi didn't do this move, like, it's Narvi that doesn't know CS, not the fucking leakers, like, it's just such a slam dunk move all across the board, like, even the whole angle, which is the only one you can really bring to knock it, which is, well, it's simple. It's like, no one is! No one is! Like, even if we just thought my boy Dexter was just talking about, who, obviously, for his nationality reasons, maybe they wouldn't sign. I don't even know if that's certain, by the way, because technically they did sign two Russian players to the Valorant team after the war had begun. So I will just say that. Now, I will say, I noticed they also do that thing where they remove the flag on Linkopedia and Valorant or whatever. So maybe it's a requirement, but I don't think it's actually impossible they had a Russian player. It's just they haven't done it yet in CS in a conspicuous manner. But yeah, to me, it's just an obvious signing. Like, I actually think this is almost not only the best signing you could do, it's also actually a banger, even for the potentially bullshit sort of, like, alibi. So, you know, they're setting this up as, like, wonderful joints, but at the same time, Simple hasn't left, and he might just be on a break, and maybe he comes back. Or, like Richard said, maybe he swaps to Valorant and plays for Na'Vi and Valorant or something, right? If, if they want to leave the door open for him to come back, I think this is also a great move still, because the point is, I mean, he even implied it himself. If his only actual problem is the fucking op... Just be the rifle and have wonderful be the opera then. Like, as long as he's really good, you actually just have an amazing team, surely. Like, if Simples is going to be a really good rifle, which I presume he would be off his skill in CSGO, and wonderful can actually... By the way, if people don't know as well, I'd say his tracking's comparable to Monacy. He just wasn't on a G2. Like, he's super fast how quickly he adapted to LAN and got better and better and better and better. If people don't know, he was the replacement for Dexter. Bisky immediately was just good. Like, he was just good, like, right out the gate. So, to me, I think it's just such an obvious slam dunk move to go for. And if he can actually get to, essentially, where Monacy is at the big events, and then you have Simple as well, you've already got your one-two punch right there. You've already got Alexi Bisky. Like, this, as mad as the mess that Na'Vi's in now is, this one move can actually fix the whole thing. And then there's also the world where maybe simple doesn't come back right look you can't replace a player like that but i tell you what this is about the closest to like at least start functionally with the team after that you're looking for what a really good rifler there's plenty of really good rifles. I actually think it's just a banger move all around. It's one of the rare times where I have no complaint. I, I think it's the right move for Wonderful, for Na'Vi, for the simple angle, for the team. I, I actually think this... Also, another thing is, I think if this works out well and they don't have to, like, replace him as an opera and simple kicks him out of the team, this is another player, by the way, who could be in Na'Vi for, like, five years and end up being, like, an all-time great player. I think he has that potential. 
one thing with this simple dipping out of the team thing and how he said oh, maybe the op doesn't feel good and it uh you know i might just rifle the update that they just did made the op feel a lot better actually because i kind of had the same feeling of it where it was that if you flick to somebody really fast with the op like it, it sometimes wouldn't actually connect with where you flicked your your crosser to and someone did a nice example on reddit where they like slowed down the time scaling okay. and that it, it's like before it before they had this update if you've shot and flicked and let go it would actually not really it would go kind of like where your crosshair was as opposed to where it was landing and now it's actually going where you landed so like the flicky oppers are now like they should be getting better again at cs2 okay. so that's one thing so i think i think simple actually could easily be coming back and i kind of i kind of get his whole like idea of taking a break and like like for example like for the Richard statement where he said he might just switch to Valorant, I think Simple was pretty serious about the, like, he doesn't want to play the game for the first few months and just let the game fix itself. Because if you kind of, like, change your mechanics to feel more what CS2 did at the very beginning in the beta, you might actually develop habits that are, sure, they're good for the first month or two sure. of the game, but they actually don't end up being good and because the game is slowly trying to become CSGO again. Like, they're just trying to make sure that the new engine and everything makes it feel like that as much as possible with the added benefits of being able to change it in different directions a little bit easier for Valve. Beyond that, Wonderful is such a good move for this team because the way I see Wonderful is like he's like a souped up Montu and Alexi B already made Montu look very serviceable for OG, you know, peaking at top five in the world in the online era. But Wonderful is a system opper that just hits such a higher rate of his shots. If you put him in hard, tough situations, he's just going to deliver more than Montu did. And with the fact that Alexi B, if he's able to tell an opper a little bit of what to do, give suggestions here and there, that opper is going to listen to him. It seems like by the system, they actually have to listen to him uh, based off of how Monacy changed before and after Lexi B. But then that's just what Wonderful was doing when he was playing for Spirit. He was playing well within the system that Chopper created. He was much less brash than Dexter. He was going for less opening picks, but he actually ended up with a better rating at big events than Dexter. So this is like the perfect tool for Alexi B to unlock further. And I, I do think that if Simple comes back and he just takes the place of Ema, because if we're looking at this roster, just hard, hard and true, like, Ema's been the weakest link here, and if you just get Simple back, who can play Rifle or just Hybrid, man, this team is actually very strong all of a sudden. It's... he's Simple's just so lucky. He's gifted with so many skills. You, you think about the fact where it's like, I'm a Tier 1 Opper. I don't want to Op anymore. I'm just going to go become a Tier 1 Rifler, and it's like, no player should be this good where he's like, number, you know, top five team in the world, guys, I don't want to op anymore. Can you cut your, you know, your second best rifle for me so I can be like the best rifle on your team? It's not fair. It's so unfair. No one should be this good at everything except for, you know, but um, personality. Uh, anyways, so wonderful. I, it's, it's, it's such a good move on paper too, because one under, uh, understated element of this is now that Navi's international. Wonderful has been playing on English speaking teams for, you know, a year, year and a half now. So there's going to be no, you know, startup time for him. He's going to be the, you know, best match for it. It's a good match for team culture too. You know, he does still speak Ukrainian or Russian, so he can still, you know, sort of be a, a friend or a colleague to Bit and Blade and sort of, you know, keep the culture balance on the team going well. Um, and like you said, he's much more of like a systems operator. You know, it's someone who Lexi should really be able to excel with, with the exception of uh, Monazi and, you know, briefly be simple before he benched himself. I feel like Alexi B's, you know, really worked with like non superstar operas. So it should just be a natural fit for him on, you know, all fronts. So <clears throat> this move is like, I, I think it's not getting the attention it deserves because he's coming from a team like Sprout. So people are kind of 
thinking like, oh, he's just, you know, a fill-in player. He's just a stand until Symbol can come back. But ultimately, he is, a, you know, he is does have the potential to be a great fit for this team and potentially, you know, be someone who could not replace Simple, but on any other team, it's like a winning opera. I mean, the mad thing is, this is where you know this guy, no one watches Sprout or Tier 2 play, basically, or when Sprout was just in CIS region. Because, like, the joke is, if I was all those fans of Cloud9, I would have been like, why aren't we getting this guy instead of Shiro? Like, this would be a slam dunk for us, too. Like, bring this guy in, and we're immediately cooking with gas again. We could do something. Also, as an aside, actually, one point you bring up there, I, mean, I hadn't even thought of is, also, to be fair, bearing in mind it's an international team now, having your new young recruit be someone who speaks Russian is going to be fucking great with Blade. Like, Blade can speak English, but he'd obviously rather speak his native language. Like, it's going to be way easier for him to explain some super complicated concept to the player and if you think about it, with the team he's got now like bits actually in good form again he's actually sort of turned his shit around it's merely just this guy once he gets if he gets wonderful bedded in that's good immediately like i actually think this is that that's how you know this move slept on because i actually thought the biggest bomber about simple taking the break is like they just had that mad run at the end of csgo where they made the final of pro league and everyone's like hey maybe this team could be good but then it's like we got fucking blue balls whereas now it's like back on it wonderful's good well, let's see you again let's see what this lineup can actually do right let's switch up then so jeff what is your bad point Oh, uh, so bad point for me. Actually, sorry, I got to say one thing about the, the simple Valorant thing. Is he, I, I I trust Richard to be right, but I also feel like a player saying, I'm going to Valorant is like a, is like a kid saying they're going to run away from home, especially considering the fact that <laughs> the main complaint CSGO players have about CS2 is it feels too much like Valorant. So you hate Valorant light, so you're going to dark chocolate Valorant, you know, with nuts, and you're going to have to learn how to, you know, do all this, you know, smokes and the, you know, ultimate that that drags you, you can't move and you get pulled into a room and you die or the 1v1 arena or whatever. I I think he's just saying that because he's pissed off about CS2. Like, I don't actually believe he would enjoy Valorant at all, everything we know about him, considering he's, he's much more of a mechanics player than, like, a abilities player, you know, in Valorant. I just feel like abilities would drive him nuts because a player who's less mechanically skilled than him is going to win off of some, you know, flashbanging him four times and pulling him into the 1v1 dungeon of death or whatever. Like, there's no way that he would be happy there. It's almost like, you know, it's almost a complaint. Like, maybe he'll stand in for, like, two months and then be like, okay, CS2 is good enough. Navi, please put me back in my home. But, like, it's not, you know, he's going to come down from his room eventually and, you know, unpack his bags, surely. But so my bad point... Uh, for this week is the fact that I feel like with Astralis's efforts to continually kill Heroic, they may have destroyed the Danish scene in the sense that if you think about where IGL, the Danish IGLs are now, not a single one of them, with the exception of Blame F, is on a Danish team anymore. Kadian's going to Liquid, uh, Glavis potentially going to ends reportedly to replace Snappy. Snappy's going to Falcons, and so if you sort of Think about what Carrigan's in phase. With. Yeah, there's everyone's, everyone's out there. Yeah, MSL's, reti MSL's retired. If you think about who's left in the Danish scene, who's going to train the next generation of Danish players and who's going to keep that scene running? We talk about, you know, for example, in North America, none of the old 1.6 IGLs uh, taught the Go IGLs. And then the Go IGLs, like uh, a lot of them got, you know, either banned from iBuy Power or they never really trained up their replacements. And now the NA scene has such a lack of IGLs. Same with the Swedish scene. Their old players never taught yep. their new generation. So you go blame F. Who's the next best IGL in Denmark who's not an international team? Like Bird from Sky? Uh, I think Patty's an IGL. On, uh, Patty's an IGL, maybe. 
all this and i can't think of anyone after that who immediately pops in my head of someone who's gonna you know find the next danish star teach him how to play the game who's gonna find the new you know 17 year old igl teach him how to play the game and it may not be an issue now but if you consider too the fact that the best danish igls are all you know 28 to 35 if they wait three years before coming back to the danish scene to maybe you know teach the next generation they're going to be 38 they're going to be approaching you know 40 years old five years from now what's the danish scene going to look like is it going to look like the swedish scene and this is all because of astralis you know conspiring to get Cadian out of heroic forcing you know almost luring him to go to liquid and then you know down and um you know jabby go to the bench killing you know killing heroic and if you look at it too you know snappy snappy went to astralis and they kind of spit him out he ended up on ends they mistreated glaive to the point where he briefly retired and now he's going to go to international team in a way you know nickel and i home and uh casper favit over time have destroyed the danish scene by jade making all the danish ideals jaded and leaving the scene cutting Not off good. the yeah, cut, cutting off the lineage of leaders to teach young up-and-comers has already decimated the North American space, and I'm glad you bring up that example because I think that's probably the most obvious case where we see that, especially when the I by Power guys got banned, how it just sort of slowed the progress of the region so drastically which then snowballed into EPL slots getting taken away from North American teams too. But I, yeah, and so it is kind of, it is a, a bit of a shame to see that so many of them have moved on. But I think that and it's kind of just a weird, sad, sad thing that I've sort of just reckoned with, which is that so much of this game now is just becoming English speaking. Whoever's the best in the space is just going to like the face it culture of just everybody's going to team up with everybody now. And it, already, I feel like the death of the national team is we're well past that. And I don't even think that there's really too much of uh, there's too, not too much patriotism floating around these parts anymore. People are just kind of hyped about their favorite player who they'll follow to every single team. You think it's like the NBA? It's just super teams where the stars just make the teams now. Yeah, and kind of, and that and that most of them are just going to be European mixes that, sure. in a lot of ways, are kind of. I, I I don't I don't want to use the word like lifeless or like, but they don't really have as much of a a clear direction where. Whereas before, it was such a fun narrative point that we could point to the Danish style of CS, or we could point to the the Brazilian style of CS, and those words used to mean something to me pre-2017, pre-2018, but after, especially, like, COVID really exacerbated this, that once everybody just started playing from home and everybody started learning some semblance of English through Face It Pugs and FPL, then we're just now getting these, these mixes where everybody's just cycling the same strategies amongst each other, and domestic competition has really fallen off by the wayside, and that's why, in a weird way, that like I, I'm really glad that the Asia scene, for example, is popping off because I would say that they have their own unique brand of Counter Strike, which to this day still persists. But when you're talking about Euro random Euro mixed team 37, I don't really think like Strat for Strat they're doing anything differently than Euro mixed team number three. The scary thing about Asia though is they're importing a lot of European players now to that, and there's a chance of that uh, unique Asian CS just being amalgamate um, uh, amalgamate English hard. Uh, of just being absorbed into like the European super meta, you, you're seeing like you know Kriaz, Blogs, um, all those guys heading over to you know China. I think they realize they don't have the talent to make their own super teams, with the exception of uh, Tai Lu. But um, you know, just a sidebar there, like 
watch out, you know, it could happen. China could be pulled into the West before you know it, and they could just have, like, a Danish IGL too. Because the other problem I have is, like... Obviously, if you're a fucking mark, you just go, what do you mean? They have blame F. Who gives a shit? Like, I don't know why everyone gets hyped about him being an IGL. Like, as far as I can tell, his main strength is he still gets all the same frags, which actually, quite frankly, since I don't think he's the best IGL, it's probably a negative, if we're being honest. Like, the, in fact, what's sad to me is because he got all the same frags even not being an IGL, it's just so obvious he shouldn't be the IGL. Like, that means, guess what? He's, his game's nailed. It's actually quite rare that those players that are IGL lurker can then still make it he already he's already got it elsewhere so to me i don't even get the angle but yeah you're right if you did a list of like names that, are, that you can go five deep and they don't have any of the monastras they don't have snappy carrigan hooksy glaive or Cadian. now obviously they tried glaive and they don't want that anymore i mean by the way that's also what fucked their whole team like it, the Zipnik's contract was pretty bad but the Zipnik contract was worse because you signed him and it meant you had the window by the way when you could have like had a Carrigan that was that that just passed you by the window by the way you could have had Snappy if you'd wanted to like six months ago he'd have come in immediately if you told him you're going to make a lineup and give him people like devices he'd come immediately you could have had Snappy by the way I mean, I don't think any... Here's the low-key thing. Um, I wish you'd all stop gaslighting me this fucking scene. Have you noticed M&Ms? You never, ever hear a single rumour ever. Oh, you know, um, Heroic and uh, Astralis are trying to get Hooksy. Every one of these lineups. Oh, we're making a super tip. There's never Hooksy in the fucking mix, is he? It's weird how we're supposed to simultaneously believe he's amazing, but it's only in this one context of this one team. Apparently, no teammate believes in him. No org believes in him. It's, I don't get it, mate. So to me... Yeah, I, the, the, go on. The sad thing with, the sad thing with Hooksy is that... Well, the even more sad thing with Hooksy is that he's almost like the replacement for Hunden in the scene, I almost feel like. Okay. If Hunden didn't ruin his reputation and become sort of, you know, cursed goods and have to go pay, play or go coach, you know, Asashi, which is a meat company CS team, um, <laughs> he would be in a much more prime position. Think about it. Hunden, like his best player he's working with right now is AZ. Like, it's all wrong. It's all wrong in Denmark right now. But Hooksy, I think his best trait is helping players is you know, helping young Danish players. And I think that's the role he had on uh, Copenhagen Flames. But now that he's an international team, he can't even be become a teacher for Danish players on like a top 30 team. Like, you know, 25 to, top 25 team in the world, four young Danish players. They maybe make a major, they maybe make a land here and there. And then they go up into Heroic or they go up into Stralis. Ideally, you if he ever leaves G2, you'd want him to become a talent scout or a coach. But he's the only one who's really in a position to do that because the other Danish IGLs are still very valuable as players, like Kerrigan could eventually become a talent scout and a coach, but I don't see that for now. Well, he's still able to play at a tier one level or even, you know, someone like, I think Glaive still has value as a player, maybe not, you know, in tier one, but, and you know, like Maui Snake said, the fact that the scene has become so internationalized, I remember when it used to be like exciting for a national team in a forum, when the original super, super phase clan team with, you know, Guardian, Olaf, and, um, you know, Nico and all that formed, it was like, whoa. And then you have Mouse who becomes an aspiring international team. And you're like, oh, it's FaZe Jr. And then you're like, next team, oh, FaZe Jr. Jr., FaZe Jr. Jr., FaZe Jr. 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 And it's not novel to be international anymore. It's sort of like blasé. And like you said, I don't think, I think that also hurts the fan experience. There's no international component or there's no nationalism component to CS anymore where, you know, a team will naturally be like, this is the best team in Sweden. I'm going to root for them in Jansherping or, you know, this is a, this is a, a, there's only one French team right now. Like that's fucked up and it's, it's just weird. And I think it's ultimately a, a bad thing for the Danish scene, but on a more meta level, it's bad for every scene that we're sort of no longer, we're almost moving to sort of like a League of Legends style where these teams are just international mixes of whatever are the best players in each five roles. 
this also just shows to me that like Astralis doesn't look at the bigger picture. Because in my opinion, like Snappy and Cadian, if you did it right, are the most slam dunk signings you could have had. They're not only the best IGLs, they would do this role in an awesome fashion. They seem like great captains. And then the case of Cadian, right? I'll tell you right now, everyone now would go, oh, you're talking about for Cadian joining Astralis. That's like a storyline that'll last five minutes. If he joined Astralis and they were actually really good with Blame F and Device also in the team, he would become one of the most popular players with the Astralis fans. Like, people would fucking love him. You know how sports are. Like, if some guy, like, the classic examples of people like Dennis Rodman or Meta World Peace, if they play for some other team, you hate them because you think they're all dirty. You know how sick they are when you join your team, though. Then you're like, oh, fucking hell, yes. Now we get to win. Now he does that for my team. That's how sports fans are. They'll flip on a dime. And so, I actually think it's just a massive fuck-up from Astralis. Like, if they'd have played it right, both those players were there. Like, the idea Cadian goes to Liquid, not even your team. It's like, bro, he wants to live in Denmark. He fucking loves everything Dave. Like, how have you fumbled the bag so badly on this one? Like, to me, it's a slam dunk. Because, yeah, I agree also, by the way. The other thing that did fuck them with the whole Hunden scandal, the fact he has to leave now, is the one reason I always said, even after that scandal, they should sign Hunden, is because it's like, with all the buyouts, you're just saving yourself money in the future. Like, if he sees that guy, think about all these players, three months, but you know what? I'll give you a freebie. I'll give you an example of how scouting saves you massive amounts of money. Do you want to know a fucking straight fire piece of info? Again, no leaker will tell you. Right? So, Supposedly, the players in MIBR slash SK had actually already scouted that Serato might be really good. And they just decided not to sign him and went with like some other player when they had the option. And this is before Furia did that breakout and beat Astralis. So they could have had the best player already. They could have literally done like some insane transition where you go from like the Fur and Cold era, era into like fucking Serato comes up and you just never drop off it. But they didn't see it. They didn't, they didn't have the wherewithal. But if you'd have had some Hunden type character, I guarantee you they get the player like that that's the thing they're amazing at is finding that guy when he's like at tier 2.5 and you know like that because the problem is you can't do what HLTV does you can't just look at the guy with the highest number and go one for the future it's like anyone can see the number the problem is we all know it doesn't always translate what you're actually looking for if you're some like a guy with amazing eye like Blade or Zeus or something you're looking for the guy where there's like fundamental ways that he plays a position like, oh that's weird that's advanced actually like you shouldn't be doing that on this level and that would even work you know they can, they have the eye for that shit and they're the best at that so I also I think it's insane they didn't do that within Astralis because let's be fair if you look at Astralis they only seem like they want to spend money on sure thing like if you are blame F and device they'll give you a big contract if you were Zipnix and Glaive who aren't even good anymore they'll give you a big contract they're not going to be the guys who break the bank like a monocy and do some insane signing when you're already like legit and proven like they wouldn't do a move like that so to me they need someone who fucking scouts it should be their number one thing they want in the team because they clearly don't want to spend a lot of money if people don't know in League of Legends right now they're about to just sell their slot for loads of money so I don't think, if, if you've ever looked at those yearly reports, the org actually, it's quite well run as a business, a bit older, it actually does like stay like decent cash flow and stuff, but it's not one that, it's not like this Falcon shit where they have loads of money, like they have to, their name Astralis is big, but as a team, you, that's why the signings end up being people, they themselves get people from Sprouts, they're not going with the biggest names, so I agree with the overall point though, it's very sad for the future of, not just Astralis, Danish Counter-Strike, like let's be real, Astralis is the last real team, because no one knows it's going to happen with Rourke yet, they fuck that up, the team's dead. Everyone. And because yeah. they killed everyone else, they they sure. almost formed themselves intentionally to be the last Danish team because they burned every single bridge behind them. They gave you know Kadian the double-barreled middle finger twice and multiple times in his history. They you know 
they, you know, Heroic's now owned by 1x bet. There's no guarantee they're Danish forever. They could go international. There's no reason they don't sure. do that. If the org is, you know, if the org is Norwegian slash Russian, um, and we don't have teams like Copenhagen Flames, we don't have uh, teams like, you know, Copenhagen Flames, Copenhagen Wolves, uh, Masonic, I don't believe, is fielding a team anymore. All these smaller Danish orgs who are pretty good at bringing players up don't exist anymore. And I think it's honestly because of Astralis. Like, it's weird to say. Well, it's not weird to say because of the way they are as a company. But they almost, you know, brought the end of times to Denmark single-handedly. Well, it, here's the thing: I did, I did warn everyone that Nikola Nyholm was a harbinger of the apocalypse. So I, I, I was, I was there year at a time. Right? Okay. Listen. Go on. I said they didn't. Listen. Oh, they didn't. No, that's the problem. They the didn't. problem, the problem in, in esports, mate, is Mitchell has the same problem. We just have the curse of Cassandra. Like we are right. It's just people don't like our personalities. So they just go, oh, I'm just going to pretend you're wrong. And then when it happens, just go, oh, I knew that anyway. So you didn't, but okay. You can all say you did, right? What Maui Snake? Speaking of the aforementioned Glorners slash community response, what is your bad point? Uh, well, I changed. Okay, the order, the order I did bad and ugly is actually is different now because of because of the later the latest news. No, no, no. Just 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 hear me out. You'll you'll get what my ugly point is after. No, the Come bad on. point is the the recent news that just came out right before we started this podcast. The JKS being benched. You just said that was going to be your ugly one. No, it, I'm moving it, this one to bad, and then the other one that was my bad is now my ugly. Okay, okay my bad. Okay. okay, okay. Just just hear me out. Hear me out, though. Okay, the the JKS the JKS move is um is obviously is obviously bad given what we know about the rumor right now that they're looking at nexa to possibly replace him uh that just seems like the most wow. whack part of this I'll, I'll i'll speak of this first in isolation before we even stick nexa into the equation here but to take out jks to me is such a huge oversight in terms of i i like I don't know if like somehow Nico coming back to G2 after turning down Falcons, like he came back to G2 and was like, I'll rejoin you guys, but only if you get rid of JKS. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't, because we we also talked about the whole thing with, um, you know, Hooksy's playing with different tools than Alexi B was when he's playing with G2. The fact that instead of Jax and Alexi B, it is now Hooksy and JKS. And I know a lot of people want to give Hooksy a lot of credit because of what he's doing and people are saying he's basically doing it with the same roster he's able to accomplish what Alexi B couldn't well JKS is a huge improvement over Jax and even though JKS hasn't captured necessarily any of the MVPs for for uh, G2 in some of their crazy runs this year I mean his numbers at some of these big events were were insane and at Katowice especially earlier this year he put up a 1.24 like he actually of all the people on G2 I'm pretty sure he had the best overall rating for that team it's just that I think I don't even know, like come playoffs, maybe like they, they thought that some of the numbers for the other people like Hunter were better. I mean, I did think that actually when I think back of that ground grand finals, Hunter was insanely good. He was bringing back a lot of like man deficit situations for them and whatnot. But I mean, it goes without saying that JKS it, role for role is one of the strongest in the scene right now, like he, as an anchor position, a lurker. He's obviously not ROPs in some of these lurk positions, but he's pretty damn good. He's pretty damn consistent. Uh, he's not a hindrance to the team by any means. And so then bringing in the other side of this that they're bringing in Nexa is just so confusing to me. I That that to me is where I, I definitely just had to put this in bad because if you had a replacement in mind that somehow was better than JKS, like for example, with if FaZe is actually getting torn apart, if they're actually able to get ROPs into the same positions as JKS, I would say I would I would have a different opinion of this one. But as it stands right now, the rumor is is Nexa, and I am just 
I'm just confused. I, I just don't understand that at all. We obviously know that with Nexa and G2 in that old lineup, I mean, they were able to to get to the the grand finals of the Stockholm major, but that's that's quite some time ago. And since then, Nexa's just been kind of toiling on on OG, no real results of note. Uh, as an individual, I think he's just been all right. And it, but he hasn't even been playing as strong of opposition as JKS is. And so it seems like they're replacing a player who I wouldn't say he's a star, but he was a very sufficient and solid anchor lurker piece in JKS with a guy that I guess is going to be secondary calling behind Hooksy. Like there has to be some other kind of move here or else it's just flat out bad. Jump in. It's it's just like the the worry for me is I feel like the Nico coming back into G2 and then Nexa coming in is almost like you said. It's almost like I'll come back to G2 but I want Nexa back because apparently Nico sees something in Nexa that we don't. And for whatever reason, that is even better than JKS, which I think, like you said, is patently untrue at this point. He's been out of the limelight as a player for, near, you know, going on two years now um, since that, you know, major uh, finals performance at Stockholm. Um, and it's just, it's almost reminds me of the old, uh, there's a, something in like vi quite old Revent or Return to Buy the Numbers, the uh, President for Life Nico concept, okay. where he surrounded himself, you know, once he cut Kerrigan, he surrounded himself with, like, yes men, and so he's like, you know, I'm the dictator for life, anyone who disagrees okay. with me gets killed, and I was really worried back before they got Alexi B that they were going to get Emmy as their IGL, because he, you know, Pekka became the GM, uh, he has, you know, his cousin, so he's building like the, you know, he's he's building like the dictatorship around him of his, you know, Serbian supporters. And so Nexa coming in almost feels like a move of comfort for Nico as the dictator as the dictator of this team reasserting himself as the leader. And so you kind of have to think if that's actually true, which it's it's more of like a fan fiction conspiracy theory for me, harkening back to the old days of Phase. But like you said, if Nico's secondary calling, maybe Nico as a precondition coming back is like laying the theoretical framework for Hoopsie to be out of the team. And he wants to experiment with Nexa as the IGL because he sees something in Nexa we don't. But even then, that is worrying to me because I don't think Nexa can really be the IGL of a team of this caliber and succeed. The problem with this one is I actually do think that it must be related to Nico because the idea this move comes right on the heels of him deciding not to join Falcons and then he signed this guy. Like, there is another angle, which is a people might not know, the GM of this team, that Pekka guy, is himself Serbian and is thick as thieves with all the... If you don't know, it's not a meme. Unlike, actually, the stupid angle where you all saw a bunch of videos of Monacy and Jax and Monacy and Nico and you're their best friends. No, no, the joke is, like... Nexa, Nico and Hunter are all good pals and are the sort of people who like to hang out at an event and there is the Serbian crew of them and Janko and Kassad and all who always be at the event etc. The problem that I have with this one is it does just scream nepotism. It just sounds like they just thought like, because here's the thing, I don't think they're analysing it like actually in the game stuff M&Ms. I think they're really just doing it like, you know, the boys like it, but if we played together, it's the sort of conversation you have at like 1am in a bar with your friends, but then you don't really wake up the next day and do it. Like you go, oh, let's just get a fucking van and just fucking drive man it'd be sick like and then like you know by Sunday who knows where we're at you don't really then wake up like there's a Doug Stanhope bit I'm doing here at like 8 in the morning the next morning to come outside like beep beep like what, what, you haven't got your stuff ready like we're going in the van like Dad, that was a fucking crazy idea at 1am like you don't really go and do that so I think this is an example of where 
Whether or not he called the shot explicitly, this is why I made that whole thing about Nacor. It is funny how if he doesn't, all the things that seem to be what he wants to happen just manifest around him. What has he figured out? The secret TM or something. What a fucking... This guy's vision board must be fucking bonkers. Shame you didn't put a major trophy on there. Well, then again, the joke is, maybe you did, but you put like a real major trophy and then that blast one was obviously some shout of a kinder egg, so you, you wrecked yourself on that one. The other thing I, I would say... Like, go on, go on. I don't I don't want to worry you here, but we can know a problem starting to develop if at the next land we see like Kassad Sully walking into frame <laughs> okay, with like what you do and he's like hey and you know you know uh like Nico invites him to the throne invites Swanee to the throne room he's like hey I want to have a quick meeting sure. with you and we just never see Swanee again and Kassad's you know announcing G2's Kassad and just the Serbian mothership and then like Yanko comes in as an analyst because by the just... way what you're saying there is though there's more circumstantial things you can add in mate like I'll tell you something that was really disturbing that now I'm suddenly getting mad PTSD remembering which is at the end of the lineup now we talked about when they had Nexa and the lineup with Amanek and Jax that famously right before they did get Alexi B Hunter made this really weird interview statement where it was the headline and he said there won't be any roster moves so that was what Hunter and spoiler that means Hunter and Nico that's what they wanted was no roster so that means they wanted Dexter to stay. And if you remember, they were even at the time floating the idea, maybe Hunter just becomes the IGL and Nexus stays. Like, these were two things they were putting out there themselves, like, directly as players into the space. So I actually get the vibe, dude. There might be a world where it's like G2 themselves. Look, I know Carlos himself had a lot of say in the Alexi B lineup. There might be a world where essentially G2 was like, no, we want you to try this org. And then now that's part of why Nico comes back. It's like, right, but I want to go back to, like, an org with, with the Serbian guys I want to play with, which, by the way, it just the problem is just as an analyst it just doesn't sound like an interesting lineup it just sounds a bit whatever doesn't it like and quite frankly it just sounds worse than the last lineup he's the voice of hunter's the voice of sauron you know he comes out he says hooksy will not be killed and then it's like hooksy has been moved to the bench and we've had a fantastic time with him and introducing next will be the ijl and we've added our good friend like you know emmy or well, the thing is, at least Hunter, like, has the, you know, he has the sort of, like, the demeanor for it, doesn't he? He's a really amiable guy. As with Nico, he's like, shut up, everyone, get, bring him in now. Release the prisoner, JKS. Like, you know, he just fucking do that when he set the, he just set the Dobermans off after him. The only thing is, though, on the JKS angle, I have to talk about this. This is one of the worst roster moves I think I've ever seen in Counter-Strike. Just the history of Counter-Strike. This is bad for everyone involved. Like, it's terrible for JKS, by the way. He will never be in this insane, unless he's joining fucking FaZe right now, he is not going to be in this position like he gets to be on paper the fourth best player but as Maui pointed out essentially to me he's comparable to rain he really can also every now and then be the mvp of the event or just do like a 1.18 rating while you've got three guys who frag out of control like that makes your team op as fuck because they also like rain fit their role like they're both doing the role of the shitter player who can't frag out and then they're just giving you like unfair advantages where sometimes they do just carry the rest of the team like this actually if by the way if nico was at all involved with this move like if jks goes bro you just don't know counter strike i'll just say that straight up like you have a different like me and you don't even exist in the same universe it's like i'm what to me i'm watching counter strike and you're watching like i don't know fucking hearthstone or something i don't know what you're seeing in the game because like this is one of the most like if i had to give like fucking support player of the year of role player of the year fucking JKS would probably be like that. it's him and Rainage contending for it like it's not even anyone else in the discussion at this point it's maybe Madden it's like those three names are about it right so I don't get it as well and then also the part I find so crazy is 
This just implies the rest of the team went along with this too. So when they were winning all those tournaments, and this is why I hate fucking star players when they take too much control. In my opinion, as a star player, you take control in this and it's like, I want really good players. But you don't like think you're the GM and run the whole squad. And here's why it sucks. Because they really do, by the way, lose a tournament, like pick up the major. And instead of going, ah, oh, Nico, you had a pretty bad last game. Honestly, you kind of fell off a bit. They just go, we need more fraggers. And you just kick out, like, like, like an HLTV forum noob, you kick out the worst fragger and just bring in another one. Like, I've made this analogy a million times. It would be like having a fucking football team and just having, like, six strikers in it. If you then go, we're still not scoring enough, get another striker. No! Get strikers that work! And then functional players that do the other roles, you idiot. Like, I don't, like, essentially, I would, this, what I would spin back to anyone in G2 is this. What did JKS do to warrant this move? Like, I, I can't comprehend what this is. Like, I even, it's not even like I can even remember ever him, like, having a really big pivotal game where he shit the bed. Like, I don't think it's ever even happened. He's had games that haven't been good, but, like, that's the other thing. I test-wise, it wasn't just numbers. He was just doing his job fucking amazingly. And also, you know, another thing that's mad underrated is he also will just win you random 1VX out of nowhere for no reason whatsoever. So he also, like, simultaneously had fragging, and he fits the role, and he gives, like, sort of a Zipmix component. Like, what more do you... At this point, Nico, what do you want? Does someone just have to have, like, a Serbian passport? Is that the only way they're allowed to be in your team? I don't get it, mate. I don't get it. It's such a weird move to me. It's so bizarre. In fact, the only angle I could I could see for this that wouldn't make it terrible, and to be fair, we're doing this video and we don't know, like, what's going to... Like, we don't technically know who replaces him yet. I was just going off what we're speculating on. The only angle that would make this make sense is if it turned out it was actually, like, JKS wanted to leave and he was going to, like, phase. And he's, unless it's that, I, I think this move's terrible. If G2 initiated this, I think it's one of the worst moves ever. The top-to-bottom nepotism that seems more likely here is really what seems like this could this could kind of in a way have a cascading effect where g2 just becomes less and less competitive because dude even the way this even the way this comes forwards it's like bros you're not beating the nepotism allegations when you do your moves like this yeah. like the no. timing's terrible in it i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we don't have enough firepower i think i know a guy for the job and then just like nexo walks in and you're like he's like oh, i'm so fucking dead like it's so over for me also, am I might just missing back. something? It's not like Nexa was. Here's the one thing: if one thing if we'd sat on the shelf and they just know secretly he's really good stuff. I saw him in OG. It was fucking terrible. Like I like the guy as a person, but it was fuck. That was a non-starter from the beginning to the end, and it wasn't actually that big a yeah. surprise to me. Unfortunately, that they benched him. Like as far as I can tell, he couldn't frag or ride gel. That neither was neither was working out. So I don't get. It. Like unfortunately, this is why. I mean, I'll just say it this way: you can't complain if you people like the Pekka guy or Nico that we're speculating this because you haven't given us a plausible reason that you've done this move. That's your issue. Like it doesn't make any sense in the server. Doesn't make any sense outside the server unless this one angle becomes involved. And if it isn't, then like I say, you've just, you've fucked up the messaging because it looks like, that's the problem. The timing is too, power, too bad with the Nico story. That makes it look like it has to be like this. It's, it, you know, like when a team like Liquid, for example, got uh, Patsy and Rainmaker, at least they had like Daps and Joker Steve come out and like lay out like a thesis. Yeah, for fair why. play for that. Yeah. They, 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 you know, they got yep. out the whiteboard. They said like this player, you know, I'm a, Daps is a skilled talent yep. scout and, uh, and they're like, no, Nex is just the minister of agriculture now and you just have to deal with it, you know. It's he's the minister. Oh, he's also the minister of defense now. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a bad point. Like, I don't see any way unless like JKS is going to Falcons or something. I mean, like if JKS ends up just sitting on G2's bench for six months, it's going to be such a loss for the scene.
I mean, the obvious joke here is there's just obviously some really fucking idiosyncratically specific Serbian way of making his coffee that Nico likes. <laughs> right, here's my bad point. It's actually, oh, that's the thing. Technically, some people might, we'll see where Maui goes on this one. Technically, I'm encroaching on his livelihood. But I don't do these events, mate, so I don't have to give a fuck. How fucking whack is it that we're back to online tournaments being like a real part of the scene? Well, we're watching an online tournament and we're like... And this person's the MVP. By the way, they will never on Liquipedia ever actually make that tiered system visible. Everyone in history will always just go and just go, he has 17 MVPs. Like, I want to know who has the big event MVP. I don't care if you won, like, a small land with four teams years ago, you know. So the problem with that one is, we're doing this thing where everyone just pretended like it was 2020 again during that Thunder Pick thing. Like, oh, well, they're back. And, oh, wow, they're winning this team. Oh, wow, what's going on with this team? And the whole time, I'm just thinking, like... Look, I get that if nothing's going on in the week, it's cool that there's a tournament, but this isn't part of the circuit for me. Like, the circuit's lands. Like, I already have had to accept that the land circuit will never be as big. Like, we're never going to actually have it where there's, like, four lands a month. It's going to be, like, one and a half months for each tier one land. I get that. But the idea, like, in the meantime, we're doing online tournaments and then we're pretending they all count again. It's like, really? Who gives a shit? Who Does anyone actually... Are we all pretending it's 2020 we just care about online tournaments again? Do we really... I don't, at least. I don't. I, I care about them in so much as if they are paying me to care for them. But that's if they that's aren't not a bad reason to care. Yeah. Because as a freelancer, I mean, I'm not really beholden to respect having to respect that tournament unless I'm on their payroll and I'm, I'm not on their payroll. So I, I don't think like the Thunderpick and Rubet things are just like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they're just supposed to be something that fills the time between events and in, in a fun way for the players, I guess, you know, they get to relax at home a little bit. Probably that me that hopefully will mean that we don't hear as much about like travel complaints and stuff like that from them, because even though they were competing in that time, it was from the safety of their own homes. So, yeah, I don't really like I think what Rops won the Thunder pick one, for example, but I'm not really like that doesn't vault him to some other status this year for me whatsoever. I, I, I barely really take too much from it. I, I kind of like like watching the when people like Fiziko and Art out here put together all the cool plays that people are doing in these online cups. I think that's actually, honestly, I think that's more interesting than anything. It's like, oh, people are test running all of these cool little tactics and strats, and this is a good time of any to try them to see, is this actually viable here, or is this something that we're going to scrap before the actual real big events come back? And yeah, I, would, I would even consider like, I know look like Kassad loves to throw around the banana cup term, but like, you know, compared to like a fall finals or whatever, this doesn't really mean that much to me. Like, it's just so, and it, what's crazy is that the prize pool that they're throwing into these is, is actually pretty absurd. Like, oh, it's amazing, like, yeah. V, VP just collected $250,000 co uh, total from both the Rubet and Thunderpick events. And it's just like, that's going to look so good at the end of the year. And it's going to look freaking good on these Valve rankings, which is also one upsetting thing that Val the Valve rankings, given that it's off of prize, prize money. I don't problem, know right? what the multiplier is necessarily for land versus offline, but having huge online events with giant prize pools has such a such a huge effect from what I remember reading about how those that that ranking system was graded. And that's obviously going to affect you know, people that are going to the RMR or skipping the close qualifiers. And yeah, I, I think, I think thankfully for our sake, the teams that did pretty well in these events were teams we would have expected to do well in LAN events, but that doesn't really change the fact that that's not, that's not always going to be the case. So technically this tournament did actually count towards people. I know it's miles away, but like potentially qualifying to the RMR. Cause it affects your ranking. 
I mean, you can, I mean, the, the formula is open source. You can look at the formula and see how much it counts for. I just, I don't think any of us have, you know, gone to the trouble of looking at it. Um, you would hope it's not too big, but I will say Valve has been pretty receptive of people's sort of critiques of their ranking system. And because it's transparent, like, for example, they recently changed the waiting system for a team to get onto the rankings. It went from five matches to 10 matches. And that was something that I believe uh, some player in NA was complaining about because, like, a random mixed team made it up there. I think. Maybe it was Sponge, like Sponge's team from like some uh, show match that made it on there. Okay. Or no, it was, it was Pimp's team. Pimp's team, right? Oh. Uh, Pimp's team, yeah. And it was like number like thirty-five in in Europe because they won like a show match. But and once the Val fixed it, it fell off of the um, you know ranking table. So they are receptive. So you could see a world in which Valve is like looking at the state of the scene and they're like, yeah, there are too many online events, and they just decrease the weight. Yeah. I I know it's crazy to say, but. I think we are entering a good era for Valve where they are actually more receptive to these things than ever before. Um, you know, we see them making patches that are related to like what players' complaints are. We're seeing them make adjustments to the rankings based on what the community feedback is. It's not perfect, but I think there is room, you know, room for this to be fixed and not potentially affect the major cycle too much. But yeah, it's these online events are just so they've replaced the dreamhack opens they replaced starlet you know starletter events they replaced sort of these tier two events where teams would really get their start and get experience i know from as an you know na as an na sort of obsessed obsessed person when i saw like oh wild card and nouns and all these na teams are going to you know europe the you know they've qualified to thunder pick world championships and it's oh it's just on my event oh they're just playing from their boot camp Never mind. Don't care. The experience is not that valuable for them. They can play as much online as they want to. In fact, they play too much online sometimes to the point where they have no land experience. Um, and then, you know, final point, you did say, like, oh, I hate that the Lingopedia guys, uh, you know, they did the thing with the, the MVP. It's accurate. You do. The, the right here, direct all complaints, you know, in my general direction. Like, we can... It, we, we can build a better Liquipedia if you just complain louder. Like, okay. I promise you. Because I know... For All example, it needs is made... a tweak. Just do like an overall one. Then do like big events, MVPs, and something like that. Or color code, you know. The top, the top yes. 10 thing, right? Yeah. We have decreased the weight of online events before, especially during COVID, because we're like, this is stupid. When, you know, a team has like three CCTs in there, and you're like, okay, like, okay. like no one cares. But because we did... You, you may not know this. The thing about um, back when it was called Premier Major Minor, and you made that video, yeah, that's why it changed. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. S tier, A tier... Yeah, theater. if people don't know, that's actually also one reason why it's not just complaining when I do it. Like, I'll buy the numbers, for example. Loads of industry people like ESL used to watch that. And I can tell you, they have changed, like, how they've done, like, seedings and things like that based on if you make good points. The problem is, though, I will just push back on one thing with the Valve thing, which is, even though you are totally correct in everything you say, I will just explain it this way, though. That ranking, how it began, was so insanely bad. That is like Valve was like, hey, I've done an art exhibit. And you're like, all you did is pull your pants down and shit all over the wall. And they're like, yeah, so what's wrong with that? And you go, try using a pencil. And you're like, but they are using pencils now. So, you know, they're, they're starting to get proper artwork. It's like, well, you are right, technically. But they also did start the stupidest way possible. Well, you know, and the, the worst thing about you, that, the by the way. The you says you can't polish a turd, but it has been proven you can polish a turd. But here's the problem, so, mate. The real joke is this. I'll loop it back in. 
they actually unironically should get people like you who have worked with Wikipedia to tell them how to do these fucking rankings. Because what I hear is this. It's the notion that you had to launch your ranking to know it didn't work, right? If people don't know, almost every time a ranking's come along, Lurpus has preempted every time these exact problems. Like when ESL made that one where it was just based on like players having the points M&Ms. If you remember, I think Lurpus pointed out at the time when like Navi had benched like um, Guardian, that if like Guardian just joined with like these other benched players, they wouldn't have played a match as a team, but they'd have already had like, you know, the 38th best ranking in the world or something, because that was how this... If people don't know, like, you can do a dry run, or you can also just bring an expert and go, what do you think could go wrong with this? And then the idea is you give him the system, the formula, he puts in like, well, what happens if a team did this? And then we can actually get ahead of it. You don't have to wait until after the fact. We can actually fix some of these before. We just need Valve, as usual, to actually like ask for people's help, basically. Because I well, feel like I we could get most, a very sturdy ranking going. I mean, it's already, it's I know already the most for. frustrating, horrible thing ever was when they did the old armor system where, you know, you would play like three or four events before the major and they would aggregate the points and you would lose points, uh, you know, for making roster changes and getting penalties or whatever. Um, they never published a public source for where those points ranking, like what the point rankings okay. were ever. So Liquipedia, we had to basically reverse engineer their ranking system to give the public something to look at. We had, you know, the table where it showed like who would qualify, who would not qualify, how many points have you lost? And we had to completely engineer that from scratch because Valve never published us. And we did eventually actually get into contact with them. But there would be times where we would message them and we're like, Valve, we think you're interpreting this. We've Okay. We think you've interpreted this rule wrong. This shouldn't, based on the actual wording of your rule book, it should be this. And then they're just like, oh yeah, good point. And just change it. So like they will change stuff, but it's also frustrating because like with that as an example, the way you qualified to the major was opaque and you couldn't actually see which teams were qualified to the major if Liquipedia didn't make the table. And like, honestly, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an idiot. I just write articles about CS teams disbanding or whatever. The actual developers at Liquipedia. Like, I mean, whoever does people. it, yeah, sure. But the point there's, is, like, there's people who already can do all this. Like, yeah. Code the tables and they, you know, long they could easily do it. Like, yes, but you know, it's like they so they are getting better by making it like transparent and open source and not you know having a smash our heads against a table because we can't tell if like a team's qualified to the major, but. Oh, and by the way, to bring it back, the other thing as well that you said there that I also agree with. Look, I get why for Thunderpick they want just the best teams in the world and they want to have it now and they don't want people to not participate who are on FaZe, for example, because it's a huge team and I'm sure it encourages the betting, etc. But actually, the other thing that's sad is, I agree, it has also replaced essentially Tier 2 lands. And the reason that yeah. sucks is, even though the Tier 2 land wouldn't have this lineup, like some of those teams, maybe FaZe wouldn't attend, right? I don't care. Those tier two lands had real value because they actually did give you like some simulacrum of what a real land tournament's like. So the difference is if some like tier two team went to that land like DreamHack, that was, if people don't know, there never was any real surprises in Counter-Strike. Like you're all going to be like, Wimbo Fury, Vanguard came out of nowhere. They didn't. They played in all the tier two circuit. You can go watch all the lands. What they actually did was gradually creep up and then break out at a big tier one land. But the point is, if you didn't watch tier two, you didn't know they existed. But we did need that tier two scene to build them all up and figure out who was actually if people don't know, even some of the ones in the online era, like the fucking Mad Lions of the world, came up through the end of that land circuit, Forza, all those teams did. So it's actually just a bummer, unfortunately, when you don't have that. Because the online cop also doesn't work in that way. Like You don't get any land experience from that. You're still just playing from your bedroom, like the old meme with the Coca-Cola and your chair and all that jazz. So I, to me, it's okay as a filler, like you say. Or I get why for the company they want to do it. It's totally fine. It's great, it's great entertainment. I just don't want it to be considered part of like CS history for me. Because let's be real, everyone is just going to delete the online. Era. We're, we all did that already basically like so we have to deal with this too
well, sitting here with the comfort of my Coca-Cola in my bedroom, uh, what I will say is, like, think about, for example, like, ENDS. Uh, ENDS's most important formative event to becoming a real team was DreamHack Winter 2018. If they didn't win that event, winner of coming second place, I can't remember anymore. But that was, like, their event where they, like, hit, finally hit the ground running. I think they beat, like, MSL's Optic at some point. And you're like, Oh, you, you mean know, Star oh, Series? Like, and- it was Star Series Pardon? at the end. Of, it was Star Series season six at the end of twenty eighteen. No, they, 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 there was the same matchup at a at a Dreamhack winter. Oh, fair too. enough. Okay, and that was on also with uh, Bravado, the South African guys. Oh, it could have been Dreamhack winter. Then. Okay, and then uh, Existence Galaxy, the team with Barbar on it. But, right. um That was like a for- those two those two small lands were the formative events with them, and I don't think they would have been able to go on and do what they did at the major without that. And now you see these teams are playing like CCT online. You know, they're playing like six CCT online events at once, and it's like. Is that really a valuable experience for these teams? And it, it probably it real. They're playing, you know, Swiss, which is not as yes. a, a format we use at Common Lands. They're playing, you know, five or six matches a day. Not something we do on land. So it's like completely. There's, you know, it's 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 a simulacrum. There's no relationship to what real CS is like. By the way, if anyone does go back, it was like over a year ago now when we did that episode with Heku. She actually nailed it, Maui. She pointed out that the problem with the CCT tournament was they immediately sort of threw the concept out the window that it was for oh, like yeah, regional yeah. teams and tier two and stuff like that. And they just did to just go for the biggest names ever and just ram them in all the... Because the maddest thing about that is, dude, it's it doesn't even make any sense what division you're in. I've seen teams in like CCT North yeah. and then it'll be like, I mean, I'm, I, obviously I, I don't want to talk about my house, but I've seen like Brazilian teams in that shit. Like, like the, yeah. none of those, yeah. none of them make any sense. They just think, like every fucking project, it was a good idea, then they sold out, right? At one point, uh, on. at one point, was playing, I think, CCT North Europe. CCT there you go. Central yeah, Europe, it was. There you CCT go. South Europe, all the same time. I mean, spoiler, they're from the fucking Southern Hemisphere. And you're they're they're putting not, CCT North, like you know. They're not in Europe. <laughs> it's well, too good in it at all. It's too it's good because the the problem with that is it's all run by different tournament operators. Yes. So for them, the incentive is why well, wouldn't the biggest the name? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Why would I invite yeah. you know the three? If I'm CCT South Europe, am I just stuck to only invite like Albanian, Kosovar, and Serbian teams until I die? No, I want MIBR. Like. Right. What is your well, ugly point well, then? Oh, go on. Well, just 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 one one last little thing about like the CCT and MIBR and all that stuff like that. If you actually look at the Valve rankings as they are most recently updated, this MIBR is the second highest standing team in the Americas region. They're above Furia. They're above Liquid. They're behind Complexity, who is just way like way above everybody else. But yeah, they just have so many points because they, yeah, they've just won random prize money okay. from random tournaments that no one really is watching but yeah okay um wait who's who's ugly is it it's it it's, it's it? uh jeff now oh, it's your well, ugly the, point the mini uh, so this ties the into CCT it though thing, actually does segue i'm still mad about cct2 because the so <laughs> brazil is up to cct cct south america series 12 europe is like okay. 8 9 10 they've run you know 10 events there do you know how many na got four One, i'm gonna guess or oh, four four okay. Four, and then they said, and we asked, and we're like, why? Like, Dusty us, we, we went to the TO, and we're like, like, why did they, you know, is there going to be the, the next four you promised? Because each region, I think, was supposed to have, like, a round eight. And they're like, oh, yeah, there just wasn't enough, you know, interest in the project. There wasn't enough viewership, da-da-da. So, yeah, you just only get four events. And it's obviously, and it affects our ratings, too, because, like you said, like, MIBR is viewed as, like, the best team in the Americas because they're just running around Europe playing random CCT events. They're winning. They're winning like Brazilian CCTs, and they're winning Europe, or they're getting money from America, uh, South American CCTs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they honestly like a team like Zero Tenacity from the Balkans should just go to Brazil and play like one of their CCTs and be like, see, that's how it feels. Like, 
Um, but so my ugly point for uh, for the for this is another sort of NA focused topic is the demise of evil geniuses. I think based on what Richard Lewis has reported and what kind of we've all seen, what we all expected, it seems fairly obvious to say at this point that evil geniuses will be exiting CS and they will be releasing their lineup. And at that perspective alone, you know, losing an organization in North America is obviously a bad thing. Now we're going to only really have liquid kind of and complexity and all the smaller orgs. But if you just think about all the players they wasted and all the opportunities they wasted and all the money they wasted and everything they did wrong over the entire span of the last three years, there's so many stories of things that organization did wrong and and times they should have zigged where they zagged and individual examples of what they of what they wasted. I could be here for hours recounting each thing they did wrong and it's and for like a European, like when Phase like you know goes out of business or whatever, it's bad. But the, those guys will land on their feet. When a team like Evil Geniuses, you know, ruins themselves and falls apart, that can like set NA back by years. And it's just horrible to to think about all the players that have sort of been negatively held back in their careers because of them. For example, something that was brought up to me recently, just as sort of a microcosm of everything wrong with the way Evil Geniuses manages their CS division, is there's this player in North America called Klazia. Um, he played for one of the Evil Geniuses Academy team. And for years, I think, Mouse, you can attest to this too, he's been viewed as like a potential star, potential star or, you know, a journeyman player who has the potential to be great. And he was signed to the one of the Evil Genius Academy teams. And it's been known, like it's an open secret, not even a secret that he's suffered with like attitude problems, commitment issues, you know, normal things that affect young players. And there's no way EG couldn't have known this bringing him in. So you'd think they like set him up with like a sports psychologist and like have like a mentor figure and you know work on his idiosyncrasies. No, they just cut him a month after he joined because he didn't he didn't do good at a boot camp. And now he's sort of stuck in the cycle of random ECL teams. And if you sort of think about the way they didn't give the attention to the players that needed attention or help bring up the players that needed to be brought up, that's what they did to every single player in their program. And that's what they did to the entire NA scene. And now, and now they're cutting, you know, cutting tail and running and sort of leaving NA a dumpster fire. And it's really ugly for what's it, it's done to the NA scene culminatively over the last three years. I have mixed feelings on the EG exit from the North American space. The, the thing that you mentioned with the fact that there were so many things that were managed poorly is something that I think everybody was privy to for the duration of their their tenure and like i i do think that with with like the way that they handled all the academy rosters i know that they set them up at least with salary and coaches i don't know what else like they really even should have done other than maybe probably just don't even get those rosters like to me to me when they actually first had that whole party astronauts roster along with their main one to, uh, to me it actually felt very uh like the ulterior motive to that for was was that you're going to take party astronauts out of the America's RMR because it would be a conflict of interest and they couldn't enter the America's RMR. Yet, in my eyes, party astronauts had just about the same likelihood of qualifying for the major as your main EG roster because at the time that was like when it was like Ben Lee and Ponalone and uh, you know people like DJ John G. I'm missing the fifth player and I feel bad for him for Viz. not remembering his name and Viz, yeah, and Viz. And I felt like that team was probably just as likely to qualify as like the automatic Stewie Breeze roster, which was also floundering too. Like they, they kind of were meeting in the middle of like 
party astronauts were like the top of tier two and eg was the bottom of the barrel in tier one and uh so i thought it was kind of a devious move that to, to actually take them under their wing when i didn't necessarily feel like they were going to actually foster their talent i think it felt like they were maybe just trying to purchase them as soon as they could so that they knew that if we want to promote one of these guys we're not going to have to pay any kind of buyout fee so it felt like a long-term thing it didn't feel like something to me where it was like about fostering talent it felt more like we're, this is going to be an investment and it's going to pay off for us in the future and it obviously didn't didn't really bear any kind of fruit like that like i don't think anybody from that party astronauts roster got promoted at any point in time they did not never right and, and i wanted that to happen because i thought pone alone definitely deserve the call up over Wiz, whatever. I mean, in terms of beyond just like the little micro elements here, the whole macro picture for me is, yeah, this is going to actually hurt some of the people that were employed by EG. And I'm talking just the players, like players and coaches who were making a working, like a sal a living salary because they were playing underneath this banner even though we know that like it wasn't it wasn't run very well literally the injection of funds probably kept a couple of these names in the space that otherwise maybe would have gone to Valorant a little bit earlier that being said none of them have really shown that they're going to actually make any huge dent in the tier 1 space just yet but like it's nice it was nice to hold that that kind of hope i'm i'm kind of just glad that this sort of parasite that has just been attached by the torso to everybody in north america where it's like you just knew that this was probably going to end up just falling off and just dying and you're going to have this big blister on your on your on your side and that's kind of now what it feels like with with NA where we're just like like we were devoting some like just mental effort and and life resources to like trying to do mental gymnastics at some point to be like I, I think this EG project is good because it is help. It's putting more money in this space, but in terms of actually what it accomplished, it was it was nothing. There was no, there was nothing really to be happy about by the well, end. Well, you even you even feel like a you kind of even feel like a dickhead too sometimes because you're constantly criticizing this roster that had and all you know in all senses should not be competing at tier one. I don't think they're ready and they need some roster changes. And so you're constantly like, yeah, Junior can't play tier one. You're like, oh, Hex and Walco, and and you feel bad for talking to these players like this. But EG almost set them up on this pedestal. This is the evil geniuses main team you know these are our expectations for them and like that's it that's been the hardest thing for me too is like when you criticize these players you know they're people who are like in your local scene and it's like listen i'm criticizing you because you're an evil geniuses player not because of who you are actually as like a player you're just stuck in this weird situation where there's like these expectations hoisted on top of you that you don't really deserve to have because evil Geniuses have made such bad roster moves like maybe three of these guys with two europeans could have been a really good team and we'll never find out and the the way they've died over the last three or four months people forget that only you know four or five months ago they were trying to sign a complete european roster the one with uh zorte electronic jacks uh liege there was a potential on it so yeah and the reason why that failed is because no one wants to play for Evil Geniuses. They even took a brand that's sacred for NA and completely ruined it in their exit. And they would have, I'm sure if they actually got this European roster, they would have uh, fired the academy teams even quicker than they, you know, even quicker than they did now. And it would have brought the whole thing to a, a conclusion. Um, and uh, one, you know, one other thing that I think with Evil Geniuses death that I'm, I've been thinking a lot about recently is how does this re uh how does this affect the legacy of someone like valens so valens wins the major with cloud nine and so therefore he's a hero of na as a sort of coach figure but from what we understand he's been a key figure and a key decision maker in the system in evil geniuses and it's failed completely like this is a massive uncalculable failure he's basically you know 
the choices he's helped to make and the decisions he's been behind have seemingly brought this team to ruin. So I'm thinking too, not just evil geniuses dying, not just losing the salary lifeline, not just, you know, all the other effects. Valen's reputation and legacy has kind of been disturbed by his time with evil geniuses. And we still know he's a brilliant, smart guy. But after this, is he going to be so jaded by the experience of evil geniuses that he doesn't come back to coaching or even working in CS anymore? He could go on to, you know, Valorant or League of Legends or go back to, you know, NASA or whatever. And it's, there's so many different strings to pull here, but it's just like Evil Geniuses is the typhoon of destruction in an A. The problem with this move is like, in theory, I actually should, no matter what, say it's bad for the space because it was a giant org that had like lots of money. It had legacy. But actually, I don't think it is because quite frankly, right now, the one thing they had was money. Like they've ruined all the respect in the legacy. They haven't had anything for the last few years. So the joke now is even the success of 2019 is so far in the past. And because it's before the divide of the online era, it may as well not have happened. Like that now to a modern fan who's only watched the last two years, that's like talking about Nick. 87 and 0 no one gives a shit mate that's not going to make anyone a fan of nip today that the 87 and 0 is a different lineup and no fan today goes i'm an eg fan because they won esl new york 2019 with totally different players and a totally different scenario and different everything was different all the pieces were different so quite frankly all they had now was money and quite frankly they don't have the money anymore boys that's why it's not just that they fired the team like essentially everyone's fired with an eg like all the executive people the people making all the giant salaries flying business class around the world people who've done all sorts of crazy moves loads of people are fired and I've heard they had to offset millions in salary for where they're at financially so basically as far as I can tell they wouldn't have been able to run the big EG rosters anyway like it does make the main EG squad criminal because people know the rumours I've heard they're true people like Breeze and, and um What's his name? Uh, Cirque. They were still making massive salaries for most of that dog shit period where the team could never win a game on land. So they did waste even the money they did have. But the point is, there isn't money anymore now anyway. As far as I can tell, you'd be on a budget roster because the joke is... If anything, it's League of Legends where you'd put your money, where they'd actually become like the number one team. And even in League of Legends, they had to completely cut most of the roster and go with budget players who just took very, very little salary. So that in that sense, I'm not really that sad that they left. And then you look at what they did do. The only actual upside in theory was the whole PR thing of the we have three teams, we have the two other squads, we have the past uh, astronauts and the play except they like you say, they never did it. If it ever actually was a real thing where the idea was we're just gonna find the one or two players who will then become the replacement for the not-so-good EG players from the era I'm talking about, and then you mix them together, you get the, you know, a European IGL. By the way, if you'd have done it right, EG, you'd be in the mix to get Acadian or someone now. You could get a snappy now, and then you put them with, like, you know, let's say you keep automatic and, I don't know, Breeze, maybe he's the one who works out, and then you get, like, you know, a younger player comes in, then you get an op... You, you can see how it could have come together as a real squad that could do something. Meanwhile, you look at the actual results they had. If people don't know, because they got to play the fucking, like, Oceanic team, Rooster, Congrats. They got a second land best of three win in 2023. If people don't know, even with that dog shit win, they went, I think I looked it up while you were talking, they went 2-15 and 15 in land best of three series. And even at this Pro League, when they beat Rooster, they came second to last. One of the things I think I made a very good point of in my video was, holy shit, is this team like bad in every respect? They don't win the maps. They don't win the games. They In these partner leagues that they're just in because they're team paid, they always come last 
last to second to last. It's crazy. They don't. They can't even put it this way. Everyone knows my feelings about Fallen. He still fucking tripped over at the end and almost went to the final of that blast where they like lost to Vitality in like 1917 and Oti or Heroic, whichever one it was. I think it was Heroic. Yeah. Like they it's almost were in the. They almost fucked around and went to the final of that tournament. Et has never come close. Like they're not even on the window looking in at. They're like fucking hearing about a report of it over a fucking wireless radio in a cafe two miles down the road from the event. Like they're not even vaguely touching it. So and that's just pathetic. Like that's just a systematic failure. And that's just recently. I'll run down the greatest hits. So they had Zeus as their coach and who wanted to be involved and who had a bunch of massive players go watch my interviews that he could have got to join. Like by the way, this wasn't just recently. I've heard back in the day they were going to get naff during the Zeus era and he was going to leave Liquid because he hasn't actually fucked with some of those players. Like if people don't know, he tried to leave Liquid this first year he joined. It's never really been his vibe. They're a bit too try hard for him. So he wanted to always be with the EG boys. That was always like his vibe of people. He wanted to be with people like Breeze and Circus. So you could have had Naf twice, by the way. You could have had him last year, and then you could have had him like two or three years ago. Then you what you fucked around with Zeus to the extent he left. Then you had Kassad wanted to join your project. You didn't. By the way, since you didn't sign him, I think you've won like three land best of three series, and that was like a year and a half ago at this point in time. Like you almost couldn't have made a worse fucking move because whoever you did sign didn't do anything. Then you could have had Valde was going to join, and he in fact, by the way, it turned down joining Astralis thinking he was joining EG. Didn't do that move. You think he, by the way, he was only joining to be a support player. You think he wouldn't have shored that team up like immediately. Also, mega attitude as a player. Then you go, like you say, the one where they could have made the Russian super team plus Elise. I've heard Elise was up for that. That's why That's why the deal was he was going to join. And I've even heard those other players wanted to join and everyone was going to do it. And I'll probably do a bigger thing about this future, but I've basically heard they just didn't do their due diligence on certain things about the deal. And so, embarrassingly, they, e.g. themselves, at the last minute, had to just basically tell everyone, sorry, we're not doing any of this deal at all, and that's why everyone went back, and Elise went to Complexity, and the, the, the other players went to Cloud9, and Zorty ended up on whoever the fuck, isn't he back on Falls or something? Who does he play for now, Zorty? Great question. Maybe he's on, um, like, Betboom or something? Boom, bet, bet boom, bet there you go, Betboom, there you go. Right, so he obviously went to a smaller team too, so they fucked everyone on that one too by the way because the other thing that's criminal about these moves is I hate people who essentially tell someone like you're in don't worry and then they turn down other offers by the way loop this back to the beginning of the episode never do that if you're a pro player until you have signed a contract that they also have signed you are not in that team literally until that moment you should maintain all options open and tell the other teams I am going to join this team if they give me a deal but I am still open to joining your team because if you fuck yourself on that one there are so many like shuffles where you'll just get lost you'll get left on the outside and like the musical chair scenario when the music stops you won't have a chair you'll be on fucking bet boom instead of eg or fucking cloud nine or whoever you could have been on at that point in time and then the last thing to say is i don't even give them that much credit credit also for the teams thing because i'll spin it the other way i do agree that those players got salary they got to sort of like have almost like a it's almost like they got to pretend and larp that they were a pro player but the main problem and this is the most criminal thing about that is because they never were going to put them on the main team them if you if i had to say functionally the biggest impact they had on those players was ensure they could never qualify to a major in an era when the RMR was wide open for Americans like someone like party astronauts I'll tell you right now I think they would have qualified more than EG did EG I think qualified once or twice tops I think they could have made it like there's a chance they could have grabbed that last spot especially when it was going like six teams deep or whatever Maui like they could have grabbed though you could even best of one lock through Swiss and do 
do that. I actually think that's the saddest thing because here's the problem. If you're those players now, I'll tell you, in Counter-Strike, players are hard-headed. They don't really look at your game when you're a rival and go, oh, he's pretty good, actually. We should sign him. You have to beat them, actually, at the lands. You have to go to the RMR or the Major, pop off, and then here's the thing. Their followers, like all of us, they see that and then go, I think this other guy is good. Cypher, yeah, I've always rated him personally. They don't. They just do that like we all do when you see them do it at the land. So actually, the best thing that ever could have happened to those players would not be on EG. If party astronauts could run it back and have like three cracks at a major or something. Dude, if they make one and one of those players plays well, I think we're having a totally different discussion about them. Whereas, as you say, the joke is, guys, aside from you who were in the NA scene, I don't think European fans could even name like two players from each lineup. I think even two might be pushing it, dude. Like, maybe they know the porn longer. That might be it, though. You know what I mean? The other team, they know. The, the joke is the other team even had Stanis Law, and people didn't even know he played CS still. People thought, like, I think people who are Europeans think Russian Stanislaw were retired. I don't think they know they were still playing the whole time. That's how, that's how badly they also publicized well, the those teams. Is, so Stanislaw did nothing on Evil Geniuses, like the Evil Geniuses Academy team. I think he was on EG Black for a while. And now he's back in the NAC with a new uh, yes. group of players. And they're about to be signed most likely tomorrow at, to New Org. Okay. And the team's like, and Forsake, you know, he's on Forsaken. And that team has been getting wins over like Imperial, getting wins over Liquid, doing all this. Why couldn't EG figure that out with Stanislaw? I'm evil geniuses. He had to go and be unemployed playing for zero dollars and zero cents to finally have his insight trusted. Like I've been someone who's very down on Stanislaw ever since he got kicked from the evil geniuses main roster initially, but I've had to like reassess my understanding of Stanislaw because it seems like he's actually a good, doing a good job at building rosters and sort of reinventing himself as an IGL. What conditions precluded him from doing that in Evil Geniuses? Did they not listen to him? Did, did they not, you know, take his expertise? Did they, you know, say, okay, EG Black is set in stone. You're just here as a fifth player. Shut up. Do your job. Um, and then, you know, one final cherry on top for this that I've been thinking about with how they've been handling players from a mental, emotional standpoint. You know, we hear about in um, Dota 2, the thing with, uh, or League of Legends, rather. Correct me if I'm, or Danny, is that League yeah. of Legends? Yeah. League of Legends, Danny. Hey, you know what other player they had that had unique mental health needs on Evil Geniuses and that we haven't heard from forever? Can you guess the name? Stewie 2K. Starts, maybe? With, a, starts with an O. Okay. With an O. O B. Oh, Obo. Obo, right. Okay. Obo. And we've never seen him again, and we yeah, never seen true. him again since, except for one stream where he seemed like he was in deep mental distress. Did Evil Geniuses play a role? Oh, by the way, that's something I hadn't even thought of. I can reveal this now. As far as I can tell, like, I was going to say, I didn't mention even the Stewie move, which actually set off the bad era of CS before they had good players. Like, the Stewie move, as far as I can tell, first of all, they were told, not only by the coaching staff they hired, but everyone else, don't do this move. Like, that that, that guy who you're thinking of was years ago when he was really good. Like, he isn't in the right headspace. They signed him, and they said internally, he is a superstar, and he will be the carry of this team, which was a nonsense idea. But then also, like you're saying, I've also heard that it's potentially the case people inside EG didn't want them to sign the Oppo guy that they told him what you're saying like bro he's had problems in call like there's a reason why like he's not the and basically they did they thought it was like a PR win or something stupid and just signed him but as you say it doesn't seem like they helped him in any way they just signed him and let him just wither on the vine like as, as far as I can tell he just disappeared while he was in EG right well Obo is like one of the weirdest like sad stories in na he's like i i know there's like i can't think of an analog there was one german player i believe who was sort of in a similar situation the guy trouble you mean back in the day are trouble yeah trouble 
where he was someone who was viewed as like a good player, you know, with a potential yeah. bright future, but like mental health issues. And crucially him, like this, acted out in weird ways that were like uncomfortable and acted people. acted out in weird yes. ways that were uncomfortable yes. to people. Yes. Ends up leaving the team and is never basically heard yeah. from again. And you have to wonder... I, you know, we can't, it's sort of, I don't, like, I'm not blaming, I don't, I'm not blaming him for his mental health issues, but if he either A, wasn't on EG or was B on a team that had better support networks, sure. could things have turned out differently? And yes. it's like all those, you, you think about like every single instance of where EG did something wrong over the last three years for NACS and it like, it adds up. I know someone put out a tweet um a couple days ago where they talk about like eg's overall presence in cs some during their time in na with just na players alone they had signed like 30 players from na over the course of this whole Fuck period of time I. okay from like the you know from the start from yeah, like, yeah. when they signed Makes energy sense. to the very end yeah. and most of those guys are not in better places than when eg picked them up okay like that's not good that's fuck. that's fucked up right maui what is your bad point ugly point. Assume, uh, oh yeah ugly point or, I mean, but now, yeah, nowadays, yeah. no one well, knows which is it. Point before you know, he changes the yeah. last minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine is the. It's kind of like the saga of the drip feed of Valve employees outing that oh, I love this they are shit, I love it. so so incompetent on it. so many different levels. Uh, the, I mean, I think that it that what needs to preface this whole thing is that in January of this year, Valve had a YouTube video about the, them saying like only 10,000 people are capable of working at Valve in the world. And then we see the tweets of not just one, but two Valve employees between John McDonald and oh, I just I just clicked off of the other one. Shoot. But John McDonald is the most recent case of it where he said the line about best analysis I've seen of sub tick movement here worth a read if you have concerns about movement. And then he said most but not all of the problems around sub tick movement right now stem from CL show pos not understanding sub tick. It reports values on tick boundaries, which makes them look inconsistent. The movement curves have been shifted to offset from a tick. Either way, I mean, Launders has gone to town on this stuff in terms of just showing that if you go for the same jumps repeatedly, you'll have you you can input the exact same commands and the game will output different sort of moves for your yes. character. And that that's just so unacceptable that the movement to get onto, for example, the boxes to jump up to Palace uh, from when you come out of A ramp on Mirage you can't do the same thing over and over again. It's like one out of, I'd say four times, you're gonna actually jump on those boxes with what used to be in CSGO, the perfect like the perfect sequence to just make sure you're getting onto it every single time. So the fact that he says that, um, like like he, 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 John McDonald just kind of like doubles down on it. Like he's like saying that, let me see. Okay, okay. So that, he says like, that case is indeed inconsistent. Is there a case where that is relevant to gameplay? And this is supposed to be a guy that's like working on the game every single day, and he doesn't recognize that there is literally a case where if you just put in some commands, you're not gonna actually move the same way. And in a competitive shooter, that's the whole point of the game. That's why we still celebrate games like Quake to this day. That's why a lot of people actually, uh, for a while, were celebrating Apex. I, I know that they've had some weird, weird interactions lately with the game, but the movement in it was so pleasing that the way you could scale the map and everything like that, you could get around so quickly. And if you mastered the art of movement, you could add and some depth to your game beyond just the mechanics of shooting itself. And so, 
he said it would it could be made consistent, but it would cost FPS that I suspect users would rather have. I, I think that this right there is an admission that that <clears throat> Subtick is supposed to try to it, it is actually causing inconsistencies, but it is actually at the for the sake of trying to give everybody slightly higher frames per second. And yet there's another guy from Valve that says that ev what everybody should be doing is just putting FPS max at one. That was the guy called Fletcher Don, who's it was like Zed post facto on Twitter. Yeah, basically he said like if you keep it 120 FPS cap, you won't notice the fluctuation. So he actually said, and this is the real problem, Maui. The last line is he put, I just can't bring myself to prioritize that. It's the way free that's it's that line yeah. that triggered everyone. It it's triggered me. Like, it's really like the human eye can't see over 60 FPS bullshit again. Like, yeah. Like, he's like, guys, I don't understand the problem. Or, you know, everyone should be playing 16 by 9. I don't understand why people are playing 4 by 3 still. The game's clearly meant for 16 by 9. It's like, yes, but. Or when, or I'm, I'm in, in the beta, like someone was like, if you just set it to FPS or FPS max 400, like the game performs like 20 times better, even though you were already hitting that frame goal. It's just like. I love Valve has like some people at Valve have been trying, but other people at Valve have just been saying dumb shit like on the street, like in the in the office, smart on the streets, dumb. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think like there's been a weird disconnect with Valve lately and some of the additions they've had to games. I think that that some people almost just seem to be forgetting and their incompetencies there. Like people talk about Dota being the poster child for what they're like if they put a lot of their effort into a game how good it can look but i remember that a few of my player um uh, not player like my friends that were playing dota at a very high level like uh, like the immortal ranked level when neutral items came out which were literally rng based items that you would spawn in the jungle if you kill a neutral creature but they could be so game changing so many people in the competitive dota space were like this is a blight on the game like why are you adding rng to a game that practically speaking has so little rng yeah like you're sure you're attacking strength can vary and there's crit damage but it's like with a pseudo it's like with a pseudo rng actually where that is just pure rng and so it's like over time and the longer that valve moves away from the the core gameplay of of what made dota great and what counter made counter-strike great it's like then they're starting to just out themselves for not understanding what what made us all fall in love with these games to begin with is consistency and the fact that we don't want randomness we want things to just feel the same every single time and and I feel like I, I said it like so long ago in a hot take point made is this as soon as the sub tick came out and as soon as the, I was playing the closed beta, I was like, I just don't I, I couldn't tell you all the technical reasons why this isn't right. But like, I, but based off of feel and some of those early like bro science things that were coming out on the Reddit, this just doesn't look like it's built to last still. And it's just that the fact is that they are so unwilling to just accept the fact that Valorant has created a 100 128 tick environment that is played by millions of people every single month and people don't give a shit if the 128 tick is slightly affecting their frame rate because they made a game that can function on all of these computers in indonesia and like third world countries and it doesn't even matter like people don't care because they want 128 tick they don't they they hate getting shot behind walls and the valve devs still want to stand on this sub tick bullshit that is clearly causing inconsistencies john mcdonald is practically admitting in this in this tweet that the tick boundaries are making them inconsistent it is making movement inconsistent but we'd want to make sure that it's it's that people are getting better frames people don't care people would rather have consistent gameplay than frames we we, we know that with valorant now and now they're just they're just so unwilling to accept that and i say people with bad computers i don't care about you unfortunately it's like i'd rather have a game be optimized towards like the modern new standard than have a dev be held back by being like 
I want to make sure everyone has an acceptable frame rate, even the person who hasn't upgraded their computer since CSGO came out. And it's just like, unfortunately, you know, just like sports advance in terms of the technology needed to play the game at the top level, you know, in terms of like the pads and the equipment and the hockey sticks or, you know, whatever, or the rubber for the basketball shoe for the basketball shoes. In the same way, your computers need to get better. I'd rather have the game require better computers to run at its best and have the game be built around that because I know they'll be using the best computers at esports event that have a game every Joe Schmo can play with their, you know, 2070 and their, you know, i5 from 2014 or whatever. It's, it's, I, I feel like devs should future proof their games more than making it able to work before. Like, ultimately, I think CSGO is very accessible when it first came out, but I think nowadays with the way computer technology is going, they need to have Source 2 and CS2 cater towards the higher end there's a saying in like the twitter sphere in politics because in politics journalism is probably like the worst it is in any field in the world because understandably people are literally financially and like politically motivated to just skew what they write and report on through the lens of what they want to be the case or to help certain people and to hurt other people and so there's a saying online that goes like however much you hate journalists it's not enough because essentially it's like if you really knew how bad it was like what they were doing you'd despise them like if you even knew that like they're not accidentally putting that story out that's wrong that they didn't have to go sorry they just know that like you know when you get the first one out there viral when you then correct the their error you made it's seen by like a tenth of the same people so essentially you get to have your cake and eat it you get to put the false info out there for political motivations but then you also get to like retain the integrity of being like oh really sorry about that you know will never happen again so basically along similar lines you're now all getting a sense of that's weird why was starring so hostile to valve devs the whole time i've seen his videos you're getting a sense of why i've met these people i've asked them the questions that the flums of the world don't because they're too busy fucking glazing them for getting invited to their headquarters i ask them stuff that i know they don't know the answer to like 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 what do you think it's like when two uh cz stand around a corner and one person comes there it's like what do you mean like well if you're balancing the game you'd have to look at like how the team could use the weapon like it's not just one gun against one gun is it? it's a 5v5 game dude you say that to them their eyes glaze over and it's like it's fucking like i always say it's like you're trying to show a dog a card trick like it's not getting it. There's nothing going on there. So the saying is, here's, here's the one for Valve. However much you underestimate the level the Valve devs understand CS, you can't do it enough. You can't do it enough. And this is why, by the way, the one thing that saves Valve is that they don't have any radio communication. It's just silence the whole time. They don't do things where you can ask them, why did you do that patch? You don't have press conferences where M&Ms and people like that can go and say, hey, what's going on with this move and what's the future of the game? You can't do that. Maybe every now and then you can get an interview. Notice the interview wasn't on HLTV.org, the number one Counter-Strike site of all time. It was on PC Gamer where the plebs, by the way, the kind of idiot who's going to play CS then is the guy like, I used to play this when I was 15. Maybe I'll boot it up with the boys. Wow, look at this shotgun. Like, that's not a guy who's ever going to know about pro play. But that's where they choose to do their interview. That's who they choose to communicate with. So what I would say is this, is... These guys, it's only because they don't tell you what they actually think and why they're doing it that you can guy, you guys can reverse engineer like a plausible reason that isn't stupid. It's what if they did what Riot does, and I'll give props to Riot for this. Riot now, by the way, when they do patch changes, have a color coding system that tells you if it's meant to be a buff or a nerf, and they explain what they're doing. Like they give a context of like you know we're removing like this ability by twenty damage, and then they'll say something like you know in the hopes of like. 
like so they'll, and they'll have like even then someone from the it's actually a famous caster but he's on the dev team now freak a former like massive lcs caster he then does a video where he explains also what they're thinking what they're trying to do what they do if valve devs did that the whole discussion's over you'd all despise them as much as i do because these boneheaded opinions they're giving here are embarrassing like I'm ever, like you, you, you touched on it there, Eminem. So I'm going to make it more explicit. If you remember, the real meme one was people used to say it was 24 FPS because it was based on like how cinema reels work. People used to say the human eye can barely see more than 24 FPS. Obviously, with monitors, because we all had to upgrade from 60 hertz, they then took that to mean 60 FPS, famously, which also, by the way, hertz does not equal FPS. But that's a classic another one. Now, here's what's mad about them saying that Eminem's. They're the they're the the only a game dev on an esports game. It's fucking Counter strike that take is something that for real you hear from like your 70 year old boomer granddad who never touched a computer who just know who just read in like you know a technical magazine like you know the human eye can technically just see that like he's taking like a piece of trivia but this is a valve dev is like that's the, the 120 fps comment the way he said he won't prioritize it makes it sound like a 20 fps one that makes you sound like a guy who doesn't even understand not even beyond the casual level what these games are like like you're thinking this is just like you put an Xbox in front of your kid on Christmas, he can see it looks on the TV. Why do you need a monitor? TV works fine. You know, like that's the level you're on, except you're the game dev. Like you're supposed to be the fucking architect from like Matrix Reloaded or whatever, who like knows everything about the game and how it all works. The joke is they don't. They're fucking noobs. I always say this. You know, even when people tell me, yeah, but Thorin, you know when CSGO came out, it was pretty bad and then it improved. Did any of these devs work on CSGO? If the answer's no, why are you bringing that up? What would the relevance be? Well, it has no relevance. Everyone acts like Valve is this monolith. It's not. It's a bunch of people who, as far as I can tell, every few years, a bunch of them just quit and get replaced by the next line of noob who goes, oh, brilliant, I'm working on CS, and then comes out and says some dumbass shit like this, like, <laughs> who needs more than 120 FPS? You got phones, don't you guys? Like, they're on that level. This is fucking mad embarrassing. That's why I've always said, I don't think these guys... It's not even that I think... They're, they're not doing any of this maliciously. They're just incompetent, as in to do things at a professional level. I'm sure for the casuals, it'll all be fine. By the way, they're probably right, M&Ms. For casuals, something probably doesn't matter. A casual would never figure out what Launders and his mates since KZ figured out about or but the Apex. And they wouldn't care, actually. As long as it vaguely works, it's okay, that's fine. I will say, the notion they're going to imply, like FPS is at a premium, after you just made CS2, you mean CSGO with JJ Abrams lens flares that no one can play on the PCs that we all had five minutes ago that had max FPS on CSGO. Somehow I don't really believe you care about my FPS, you disingenuous motherfucker. You've already essentially... By the way, when someone like Rops, who essentially is like a genius about how CSGO works, has to ask someone else in the scene to use remote access and set his PC up so it has normal FPS, I think he might have fucked up the way the game works, mate. If even he he can't just go through the drop-down menu and pick a few things and have it work. You fucked it up. So the sad thing about this is this just shows you now why it's a fucking clown fiesta. Like, they, they're not even conceiving of the things we are. And the worst thing is, like this, they're acting like this is some debatable thing, like the FPS thing, or like, hmm, well, maybe the jump does work. No, no, you don't need to worry about this Valve Dev. We have losers like Lorda's mates who have literally spent 15 years just jumping around a map. Like, that's actually their whole shit. They've dedicated their whole life to that, mate. They know everything about the physics of CSGO. They know exactly how many. Like, they don't do they do that thing where they know, like, the qubits in the game it can move and stuff, and, like, what the actual max... Are. You don't need to speculate. If you just get those people, they could tell you in, like, five minutes what does and doesn't work. Whereas instead, like you say... 
the jo- here's what's mad. Even though the Valve dev is the mega ignorant person, it's always the person who's the expert who has to like really politely approach them. Look, I, I know that's yeah, it could be the case, Valve dev, but I'd really like to just say, why is it that way around? It's the other way around. That's the expert. Ask that guy if anything, mate. Yeah, what he said. Good stuff. Um, and but I don't know. It's like everything you said was right about like Valve being really dumb, but and being dumb and not really listening to the experts. But like I kind of said earlier, I've been. It, it's weird. Like on one hand, that's all true, but on the other hand, like they are fixing things, which is like it almost feels like there's two separate like teams working at Valve. There's like the people who give public statements and make these sort of dumb comments, and they're the ones who listen to public feedback. And then there's like a secret cloistered actual dev community who you know has like earmuffs on, who have blindfolds around their eyes, and they just fix and code the game and. I, I think, you know, we can say CS2 is better than when it was at launch because they've put out, I think, something like a patch every two or two or three days since the game launched. And the game, excuse me, is much better. But I think I think by the end of the year, I'll be in a really good space. But I don't know, like, what the future of CS2 will hold. It's very hard to sort of suss out what, um you know, what Valve sort of vision for this game is. When they made that comment in the PC Gamer interview where they're like, oh, we're thinking of adding new weapons at some point. I'm just the revolver oh, no. flashbacks. Oh, and by the way, I I quoted this. No one else seemed to pick up on this one. They implied Dust 2 is the best map ever in Counter-Strike. There's your experts right there. You do know that is the most casual take possible to have. Like, that is the take someone who didn't play it since they were 15 has about, like, CS 1.5. It's like, Dust 2 is brilliant. Like, you do know the whole pro scene. I'm, like, the only motherfucker who would have kept Dust 2. Everyone else in the pro scene's like, good, it's gone, it's dead. I hope it never comes back. It's a dog shit. <laughs> Everyone in the whole pro scene, like, that's, like, one of the few, like, universal opinions that seems to be out there. So it just shows that they're just not in touch. By the way, I've known this all along, so I, it's not a change my perspective. I don't, like, suddenly get pessimistic about CS 2. I'm sure it'll work out in the end. It's just my point is, like, I don't think people understand, like, people think, like, some of this stuff's like accidental which it is but it's like they also never re- they were sort of like a blind man in the dark just stumbling around like maybe something works out something doesn't so pff, I think it's a nightmare personally yeah. I mean my, my whole point isn't like I'm not doomerism I'm not bringing some doomerism to the future of CS2 I'm just saying that it's pretty clear from all of these communications we get in these sparse tweets from valve employees that like they're not gods they're just, no they're you just... phrased it the best way dude the best the way you phrased it is remember you put this as ugly not bad the ugly point is they just essentially outed themselves as fucking casuals meanwhile they're supposed yeah, to be yeah. with hope like the joke is unironically i want them to actually have people at valve who are like the crazy guy who knows the game for 15 years and some like rops like motherfucker who knows every alias and, and internet code to remove the interp or whatever like i want some boffin like that so the idea they don't have them look maybe they do maybe like you say maybe they're the staff but the idea like the people who are front facing trying to explain the game essentially don't know what they're talking about it's a bit alarming it's a bit it's a bit disturbing not least because it also does make a feedback loop which is logically why should that guy ever say anything now because correctly we have all bashed the fuck up and said essentially shut the fuck up you idiot what are you talking about but now he's never going to say anything is he? he's going to go oh, all right back in my corner <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the thing that's uh, like hilarious and probably also like motivated me to even make this point is the people that act like they're just abused children that somehow like uh, if they actually ha- like raise one finger sure. against their parents they're just going to be beaten even harder and it's like these are valve devs like they're making millions every single day from case openings like they're not, they're gonna keep working on the game like not gonna just be like nope no more toys for you guys it's like okay that just kills the cash cow for them did i catch you having fun in my video game like slap across the cheeks you know uh, but, but I, but they're also like the community is children, but the Valve is also the children too. So it's like weird. Like it's <laughs> yeah. 
the kids complain, the other kids hit them, the other kids cry, and then then mom comes and maybe makes like one change to make you get on the uh, the box on Mirage A site, and then it's all better. Wait, the last point of the show. I'm actually amazed that everyone's just cool with this deal. This is another thing. This is up there with the online tournament being treated as real CS that I can't even comprehend. Is everyone else just cool with FaZe winning every series fucking ever, but we all know that they are not going to keep this five-man lineup? This is stupid as fuck. Like, this isn't even like, you know, one of those ones where it's like, you know, it wasn't working. Like, it's one thing when you have those scenarios where, you know, the team isn't working out and, like, you're going to break the team up because everyone wants to go up with But then you have that last land that, like, you qualified to, like, a blast or something. And you go, like the Imperial one, you go, ah, fuck it, we'll go anywhere. And since there's no pressure, you play, oh, we had a not bad result. No, no, this is, like, essentially, they're playing like a real team. They were a real team until all this shit and slash twists want to go liquid and until the obviously the org had to be sold and all that as far as i know if you just like change those inputs isn't this lineup just just a real team that's number one in cs2 now and they just go hey let's look to the major next year let's try and like extend it let's try and win two majors out of four or whatever you know like wouldn't they be doing it? instead we're watching them literally be easily the best team winning all these stuff also looking awesome in the game everyone even fucking twists was popping off in the thunder pick they're all looking awesome but we all know it cannot last and so it's like it's like as the it's like as the storyline happens I, it's like for, it's almost like it's falling away underneath it like a rope bridge that you're running over and it's just like a movie and it's all falling apart right below the step behind us like it makes the narratives feel so worthless because on the one hand like I want to say this is the number one team but like in like in five minutes they might not even be a team and that's if they even just play as one player if they actually just completely split up this is, beyond, this is so stupid as an era it's fucking mental mate <laughs> I mean, they're poised to win CAC. Like, they yeah. smashed. I mean, they won a close win against Mouse, and Mouse probably the only other really good team there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I don't know some like secret inside wisdom, but in is am I correct in saying that Twist is the only person who's like vaguely confirmed to be leaving? As I know, yeah. Do we think that is Twist a replaceable player, like in theory? on paper yeah i think so i mean on the on this show we always do like i mean there's a bunch of players you could probably put in that role i think yeah so i i'm my hope is that either a they go with that roster in the game sort of the game score empire and complexity finds like a good loving new home or b this roster leaves and finds a good loving new home and replace twist i mean there's a world in which this could happen we have heard multiple you know valorant orgs multiple orgs are interested in getting into CS now that the you know now that we're in the winter and things are getting cheaper. I I feel like Gamescore could offload this quartet for relatively cheap, and it would poise the team to get into um get into CS2. If I was TSM, I would just drop whatever the hell I'm doing right now and just get this roster. Like I know that that'd be awful. Like Kerrigan and TSM together is like it's just like un, un, unholy abomination. Like, you know, but, yeah, but all maybe they do it again. But. Just please, the, I, this phase roster, you're right. It is the number one team in CS2 right now. If it keeps going for another three months and they stay alive, it could be the first era of CS2. I don't see there's any reason why Kerrigan can't pull that off. So you just have to hope, like, you just have to hope someone sees that and understands, oh, Kerrigan's really good, but so are the other three members that comprise the squad. This may be Kerrigan's last chance to have a great era. I should just sign the whole roster for, like, $1.8 million and call it a day. I'm I'm a I'm a bit different here. I think that uh you know, this is like when 
when you go on vacation and then you meet some baddie at like the, the hotel bar or something like that and you somehow have great chemistry and things are going really well it's great in the bedroom too and then but you kind of know like after i leave it's over it's over but i'm just going to enjoy it while it lasts and that's what i'm kind of seeing with phase right now like there's a finitude to every roster in existence and it would be nice to know that there's something like there's a chance that this could be extended or whatever but as it stands like I don't think, I mean, the Game Square deal hasn't been completed, which is why Complexity and FaZe are still allowed to compete in the same thing. And so, you know, that's like the same back to the analogy. It's like, you know, my pads might cross with that woman once again in the future. And who knows if it does or doesn't. But with FaZe right now, they're playing great CS. It's definitely a bit bittersweet to know that this is probably only for a couple more months or, you know, end of quarter one is when they're going to want to finalize the deal. I'm just throwing out a date out there. But at the same time, I can still still appreciate the Counter-Strike that they're playing and this being in some ways the swan song for them. I wish it was a little bit more formalized so we knew and we could really sell that narrative to ourselves and, and recognize it and the greatness that we're, we're that's at display here. But at the same time, I'll just, I'm just going to take it in day, day by day and live in the moment as much as I can. I said, you may be able to quit that baddie and go on and live your life and be happy, but I can't quit this Kerrigan core. Like, I'm going to throw myself <laughs> in the coffin as it's being buried. Like, just pile the dirt on top of me. I refuse to leave. I've seen what could happen when Kerrigan and Rops get together. Like, I refuse to live in a world where Rops goes to, like, a random other IGL and, like, secondhand, you know... Like Rops is like, I I finally found the play the IGL who makes me not just a, a baiter and, you know, a stat hunter. There is no future... There Kerrigan can keep playing till he's like 45 years old. I don't give a shit. Like, if he has four great players beside him, who the fuck cares? Like, someone needs to save this team. And I, fuck it. It can be the, it can be the Saudis. I don't give a shit. It can be the, the Russian oligarchs. I just, you know, it's not principled, but I can't quit you, Kerrigan. So it's like. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the problem. Now we also yeah. notice within that he forced you to accept his framing of what was happening. And so in his framing, he's just like always totally emotionally mature and never thinks what if about that baddie M&Ms. He's just like, there's so many baddies apparently on these like fictional trips that he just knows <laughs> that he can get one at home. And he can, no, what if actually that ends up being the one that haunts you though? And he always thinks, oh, but what if, what if even in six months, what, what could that have been? And that's the problem because here's the other issue here. It'd be one thing if Fears was just like Ents, for example, where like maybe they can win an event, but they tend to come like second or third. Dude, they're winning events and they've won quite a lot of events in the last two years. So the other thing is, the reason why it sucks is like if, if you're Twists, for example, ignore what I said earlier on. If it's possible to stay, you're gambling that you could ever be on a team as good as this again if you go on a liquid. Like if everything works out, maybe they could be as good as the team you're already on. And then also, because they win events, I just want to see them actually beaten in the game and then break up. Like I'm fine with the lineup breaking up, Maui. It's just not when I actually know the only reason they're breaking up basically is the ownership of the team slash maybe twists wants to reunite with liquid like that's that's a whack reason like if you're a historian for like why did like the greatest team of the end of cs go break up uh, just like some other reason like oh so nothing in the game then that's that's why it's ugly that's why i put it in my ugly for this one why did it die a nuclear bomb like because you're like you're like oh you know it's it's time you know at the end of like 2022 maybe start of 2023 you're like oh maybe it's going to be time for rain to go you know quietly into the night and then phase will pick someone else up and then you know the final duo of kerrigan and rain will be over and we'll be able to be happy and peaceful and then rain just starts playing fucking amazing in cs2 again you're like god damn it like because ultimately you're like it shouldn't be over i don't want it to yes. be over but it's it's over